Hello and welcome to Kick Out 299. I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm Rachel. My pronouns are they, them. We looked into covering the story between Katsuhiko Nakajima and Kento Miyahara by starting off Kick Out's second season in January with an episode on Diamond Ring, the month before All Japan vs. Noah was made for the Tokyo Dome all the way back in February. Truthfully, we would have felt compelled to cover this one from the very beginning, no matter what, but we are excited to bring you today a comprehensive guide to the last six months or so that led us to the historical and unprecedented main event singles match between Kento and Katsuhiko at Noah's One Night Dream on July 15th. One Night Dream was historical and unprecedented in so many ways, and we hope this episode sums up everything that went into making this dream a reality. So we have to go all the way back to February. And if you're looking for sort of a catch up on Diamond Ring, we will point you back to our Diamond Ring episode that will give you sort of an overview of the promotion, its history, and a little bit of information about Katsukiko and Kento when they were in the dojo, though there is some more information that you'll find dispersed throughout uh, this episode as well. But we're going to go back to February and talk about Keiji Muto's grand final pro wrestling last love holdout in the Tokyo Dome, which was a huge deal. This was announced um, that this match was happening back in January, and it was immediately just everyone was a buzz because this was the first time that we were going to be seeing Katsuhiko and Kento uh, back together in about 10, 11 years, technically. Um, it's roughly 11 years since their last singles match, but everyone truncates it to 10 years because that just sounds a lot better than 11 years. Uh, but that's kind of where we are in terms of the timing. That's the, the timing between their last singles match together. So yeah, Rachel, do you want to kind of start us off um, about some feelings around the last love holdout match? Yeah, wow. Um, just the when this match was announced, you and I were just completely beside ourselves. We couldn't believe it. And and we had literally just um we were just about to put out that diamond ring episode too. And um and it, and so it was on our mind and it it was just crazy. And the the match itself was everything we could have hoped for. The the build was really interesting though. Um, if you remember, we did have a press conference where they didn't really talk too much to each other. We had a little bit here and there. Um, most of it came from Nakajima and most of it was Nakajima sort of being like, I don't get what the big deal is. We're just going to have a nice little talk in the ring. We'll say hi. He doesn't hate me. It's been a long time. And that's what sort of the bottom line became. Um, and, and we talked about this at length, too, actually, in our um, Keiji Muto retirement show review episode. We, we talked about that quite a bit. And um, yeah, it, it was very interesting because then you have Kento's side of things where he didn't say anything at all, which, of course, if you are familiar with Kento Miyahara at all, that's bizarre. Um, he, he is very well known for um, having a very enlivening mic. That's always the um, descriptor that I read. So yeah, that that's sort of where we are at going into this. Um, a lot of the story, a lot of the um, tension came from Keto's YouTube videos, where he put together a um, 
a chronology video of their time together in Diamond Ring. And even then, it was stuff that we have already covered in our own Diamond Ring episode. It was nothing that we didn't know. It was very much a lot of um, story told in the negative space, which is how um, you and I always described it. There was a lot unanswered and a lot we really didn't know. We don't know where they stand. We didn't know what their relationship was like in the dojo because we were really only getting one side of it. And the only thing um, Nakajima was saying was, oh, he was a wonderful junior. He was just such a good boy. He was so like, he was just so serious. Reliable junior. He was so oh, serious. Reliable. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah, there was, there was a lot of questions and then that sort of brought us into this match. Um, and yeah, what, what were your thoughts on this match, um, Alicia? Cause I know you had talked about it quite a little bit with me uh, yesterday, actually. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I, and I want to add even to like some of the build, like just the differences between Katsuhiko's experience of it and Kento's. Um, this might come up later on in the episode as well, but a lot of Kento's experience of the presser back in, I think it was um, either early February, I can't exactly remember when the presser was now, but he noted that Katsuhiko wouldn't look him in the eye. And that is something that grates on him and is like a theme throughout you know, uh, th their relationship and what he's, I think, really seeking for um, out of Katsuhiko, which comes up quite a bit, and we'll discuss it during the rest of this episode. So you do get from the beginning, this very different experience from the both of them of each other, and then of the past 10 or 11 years plus, right, the different experiences of each other in the dojo as well, which is all quite fascinating. And I love that you brought up, you know, we discussed this, actually, I believe we discussed it in definitely the Diamond Ring episode, but also possibly on our KJ Muto review um, from his retirement show. But really, um, this is a story that's completely told in negative space. It's only really been in the last couple of weeks that we've finally gotten some tangible things from even Kento, um, who usually can't land on even a very tangible feeling about um, most of this. So it's a story that's been mostly told in negative space over the course of many years where these two never talk about each other, ever. And Masa is a major part of this and really goes out of his way to never talk about at least uh, Kento. He can't help sometimes but talk about Katsuhiko, but that's because Katsuhiko is, you know, um, we'll we'll get to that. Leave him alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> won't leave him alone is the way to put it. But what we discussed in I think the Diamond Ring episode is that even as far back as the cage match between Katsuhiko and Masa, which you are so um you've been so you know right to point out, Keno has been the one that's driving this story from the perspective of fans. A lot of the story is driven by uh, hearsay and rumor and people talking about this stuff on message boards and trying to figure out what the story actually is and who said what. Um, a lot of it's not reported very accurately. And then you have interviewers, and you'll see this as we report on things throughout this episode, you have a lot of interviewers putting words in their mouths, especially when it comes to Kento, um, who very famously doesn't want to talk about any of this, um, to the point where it was actually during the build to the tag here, he very angrily told a reporter, I don't want to share my memories with you which was very noteworthy at the time. So that's sort of the fascinating part of the story is that, like you said, it's, it's told in negative space um, when you actually get to sit with their words and then also the way that the media handles them, the way that people like Keno have flit out of the story um, since as far back as the cage match and Keno's like very pointed comments about this stuff in his columns that you've translated. It is utterly fascinating to me. There is no other story like this. And then you go into 
the match itself and like you and I were like up together watching this and like we were like beside ourselves like shaking like before this match of like what is going to happen like what are we going to see between them and what you get is I think one of the best matches of the year hands down I think even if maybe you're not as invested in all of the like kind of goings around of, of what's happening in the background this was just a purely great match there was a lot of great people in the match besides just Kento and Katsuhiko but in this, you you see all of these little delicious things that kind of come out of both of them um, once they're actually in the ring together. It's it's utterly fascinating. And so many tells from Kento specifically, right? Like we see him, you know, he pulls out a lariat in this this match, which is fascinating. You know, him and Katsuhiko, like they, they're interesting in that they haven't had, you know, allegedly any time together. And yet they kind of come right back together in a way that it looks like they've been wrestling each other um, over the past, you know, several years. You see a lot of these really interesting things, but then Masa enters the picture again in a way that is like absolutely devastating. So you have all of these different um, these different dramatic elements at play that almost like create this like multi-act play within this match that is just like the most engrossing thing I can remember watching in so many years. Yeah, and I encourage anyone listening, please go back and watch that match as well. Make it a double feature. You will not regret it. It's, it is fantastic. Um, but yeah, you you have all these little moments. You have, um, I think most notably, and it's it's always the image people go to for this match, and that's um, Nakajima smiling at Kento, who's staring him down. And it's, it's just that smile, that like, oh, happy to see you again, my junior sort of smile. And, and you can sort of see how it grates and grates and grates on Kento. And Kento gets a lot in on this match, um, which we will talk about later on in this episode as well he he gets quite a lot in and um and still the only thing Nakashima really does is, is smile at him and then of course you have that moment where he he walks uh, Kento around and, and shows him off to Masa um to which Masa replies on commentary I don't want to be here right now um which is also going to be a recurring theme going through this storyline <laughs> and, and but Masa was there and and he was sitting there and um Kento after having just watched his his senior just smile at him like there was absolutely nothing wrong and they were just having a nice little nice little conversation nice little match like nothing really changed he turned everything he was feeling you know whatever he was feeling because because kento is a very uh enigmatic figure at times um he turned those feelings over to masakita mia on commentary and started screaming at him. And of course, um, Kento is Masa's senior in Kensuke office as well. So you're starting to see this sort of pyramid, this um, this ladder very, very firmly um, laid out where you have Nakajima at the top and Kento right there stuck in the middle. Like you you get a lot of, and I've said it before on, on multiple um, episodes that Kento just has this really palpable middle child syndrome <laughs> where he he feels very trapped and um and he can't really do anything to his senior at this point so he takes it out on the next rung of the ladder below him and that would be Masa Kitamiya which is what leads us to the backstages and to your point when you frame it like that and this will come up again and again throughout the course of this episode Katsuhiko was the prodigy right like he was Kensuke Sasaki's prodigy right and then you had Masa who Masa Saito, Saito-san really took like 
you know, his time with. And Masa inherited so much from Masa Saito. They had such a bond together, right? We're going to talk about Kento and the decisions that he perhaps made when he was in the dojo during the Diamond Ring days and perhaps the distance that he himself wanted to create to stand out and to not feel perhaps in in kayfabe as connected to things going on there. But it's fascinating when you put it that way as the middle child syndrome, because in that way, he's not the prodigy and he's not being, you know, taken aside by someone like Masa Saito. And that leaves him just stuck in the middle, which had to, for Kento, who has believed since childhood that he is destined to be a superstar, that has to be the most grating thing in the world to watch, right? It leaves you stuck in the middle. And the only thing you can do is try to bully your junior in Masa. And and yeah, that's brilliantly said is that you have these two who were, you know, there's no really other way to say it, favorite children in their own way and in very different ways, but but they were favorite children. And um, and then you have Kento, who is his own favorite child. Um, and, and that's <laughs> and that's great because Kento is Kento, like he his confidence is just an incredible piece of his um his personality. And it's a very, very complex one. Um, but yeah, that's that's beautifully said. And um, that leads us to the backstages, which is by far, and we've talked about this before too, like my, this is my promo of the year. There, There is absolutely nothing like this. I was in tears while I was listening and then like translating it out just left me a mess. So I'm going to read the first part right now because it um, addresses his feelings towards Nakajima. Come on, come on, come on. Here we go. Pro Wrestling Noah, Katsuko Nakajima. It's been 10 years. When I saw you in the ring, your eyes were the same as they always were. Well, today was just a greeting. Just a quick hello today, right? Katsuko Nakajima. I'm sure you feel the same way in your heart. Well, I don't care what you're up to in Noah, because I know you better than anyone else. I know you deep down. You must really regret my existence. But no matter what the media asks, he won't admit that. He really must be frustrated that I'm here. I don't know if there will be another reunion with you or not. But as you can see from this logo, he gestures with the microphone. I'm holding a Noah microphone, right? So surely it's not impossible, right? I came all the way to Noah. And this sets up a lot of groundwork for what we're going to be going into. And and actually later Nakajima... during his backstages for the show also says like, this was just a short conversation for today. So we're setting up the groundwork for this idea of a conversation between them. And and we will touch on that um, later in the episode as well, because a lot of this sort of um, shows the, the threads that begin to come together in this tapestry. He then goes on and the storyline begins to shift focus over to Masakita Mia and This is where I started crying. There was one guy staring blankly at me from the commentary table. Huh? What are you talking about on commentary, Kitamiya? You don't have the kind of face in this industry to commentate on a match between me and Katsuhiko Nakajima. Hey, what are you doing sitting there watching me? There's not a damn thing in the world you can comment on. Hey, I've said the word Noah so many times. Mitsuhiro Kitamiya, you didn't greet me once today. Hey, my old house, so the Kensuke office dojo, was strict about greetings. Mitsuhiro Kitamiya, let me tell you, you know damn well, don't you? What's happening this month? February 27th, my birthday. 
listen, Mitsuhiro Kitamiya, I have one thing to say to you. Don't watch from the commentary table. Come to the ring on February 27th and say hello to me. I'll be there. What did they teach us? Kensuke office. Don't forget your greetings. February 27th, come to the All Japan ring and say hello. Understood? This it's- was so, uh, it's immense for, and like just devastating. Like, I don't I don't know that anyone's going to have a, a backstage that's going to trump this for either of us this year. This was, this was devastating because Kento over the years has done a lot to separate himself from the image of himself in Diamond Ring. He, I think he really wants you to think of him as someone who just kind of sprung up into existence within all Japan, even though that's not true. That's not where he was trained, right? He he obviously garnered a lot once he made the switch to All Japan. He benefited from being taught by people like Akiyama Aoki, of course. But this is a man who was taught by Kensuke Sasaki Masasaito and is a diamond ring product. However, he's done a lot to separate himself and he doesn't talk about it very much. So to have him talking so boldly here about his old house rules and talking about the greetings and those very strict rules that we talked about in our diamond ring episode was immense he doesn't talk about these things and he's so deliberate in how he either talks about things or conceals things so it was just immense to hear him talk about this and one of the things i wanted to point out on this too which we sort of talked about in our next stream part one episode kento goes about demonstrating when next stream is sort of launching that he doesn't believe in hierarchy and i always found that line very interesting from um the shoe pro article that we had translated from kana because it's so interesting to have him say then that he doesn't believe in hierarchy which feels very related to his time right in diamond ring but then to have him here specifically drilling down into that hierarchy to get to masa that is fascinating to me so yeah, just the fact that he goes out of his way in all Japan to say, I don't believe in hierarchy. That's not how I'm going to run things in next stream. So how we're going to do things in next stream. I would argue that he demonstrates that he can be very hypocritical at times in the way that he approaches that, even within all Japan. We see as this unfolds with Masa, just how hypocritical he can be, right? Because he alludes, and really not he so much as the media alludes to this sort of feud between Katsuhiko and Kento because of the nature of things that occur, you know, within the dojo, what have you. But the irony of this is that he is turning around and doing to Masa what has allegedly been done to him. And that was like the crushing blow, I think, of this backstage is that This to me underscored, we talked about this in our other episodes, but this to me underscored that this is a family drama where it's impossible to, in my mind, especially within the kayfabe, to take a side in this because you are watching like three different very injured people approach this because this is just a family drama being played out in the public eye in the most messy way possible. Yeah, that's that's exactly it, is that you have him saying like, oh, Nakajima must be absolutely incensed that I'm here. Like he must really just regret my existence, but then he can't do anything about it because he's a senior and deep down inside, he knows the hierarchy. And so he turns around instead of trying to fight it, he, he goes and picks on his junior. And then on Twitter, you have him demanding uh, that Masakimiya wear a suit when he shows up um, on February 27th for his birthday, uh, which of course 
uh, you actually pointed out initially, you're like, that's a very Kensuke office thing. And, and it is, it is. And um, he demands like, you know, come to the ring, wear a suit, apologize for not greeting me properly and then give me a proper greeting. And it's just very much like him really holding the past over Masaki to Mia's head, actually not even Masaki to Mia. He spends this entire feud um, addressing him as Mitsuhiro Kitamiya, which becomes very relevant as this build mm-hmm. continues. And very disrespectful. But again, like we're going to talk about so much in this episode, how these three manipulate and use and also reject and then also hold on to the past and what that means for the three of them. But he is very deliberate here in not calling him by his name now. He knew him as Mitsuhiro Kinemiya, and that's what he's going to call him, rooting them and grounding them in a past that neither of them allegedly want to be a part of or remember or be invested in. And yet that is where Kento is bringing them when he's asking Masa, who has nothing to do with this, other than that he was asked to be on commentary. He really wants to get to Katsuhiko, but Katsuhiko is a wall. Katsuhiko can't actually be broken at this point in terms of how he's going to act in public when it comes to being asked for comments on, frankly, either of these two, but especially Kento. So he can't get to Katsuhiko, so he goes after who he thinks is the more vulnerable one. And it's just desperately sad. It's just sad. But we'll see how that plays out as we continue to talk about this part of the feud, because it was one of the more, I think, if you followed it closely, it was one of the more valuable parts of actually the build to One Night Dream. So what we're going to do from here is we're going to talk about an article that we had translated by Kana, who has done several articles for us in the past. I will link to Kana's Fiverr profile in our show notes and on the blog. So if you are looking for someone to do some more professional translations for you, please consider Kana. She's amazing to work with. I had a lot of joy explaining to her the drama of the Diamond Ring um, storyline. She had a lot of questions and I just adored being able to explain this to her and she was very willing to watch watch things like the press conference and and sort of get more invested and involved in it and it was a lot of fun (laughs) yeah she chose a side we'll talk about that more as we get into the match too but she translated uh she translated her favorites at the end you'll stick to the end to find out exactly So she translated an article called Read About the Forbidden Reunion, which was done in part by Hikaru Inoue, who is one of our favorites, and also Kenji Miao, who we've um, also had translations from on this podcast before. There was also a special report from ex-Kensuke office correspondent reporter Matsukawa, whose first name was not listed in the article. Um, And that's from Shupro issue number 2230. And that came out on March 1st, 2023. Um, We'll have all of that linked in our blog as well. So I want to begin by just doing some highlights from Nakajima's portion of the interview. His portion of the interview was with Hikaru Inoue, who is a longtime NOAA reporter and covers a lot of Noah. Poor Miao-san was the one that had to deal with Kento, um, which we'll get to in a moment, but I'll start with the highlights from uh, Katsuhiko. So Inoue starts with, who is Miyahara-san to you? Katsuhiko replies, he was most memorable to me as a training buddy when he was very new in the office. We used to practice together for what felt like forever. And Inoue says, so a junior who ate from the same pot. And this was a very interesting translation that came up a lot throughout our different um, Rachel's translations, but also Kana's. This is a Japanese expression that means 
eating from the same pot, living under one roof, it suggests that they went through all the highs and lows together, similar to fighting the same war. And it means like a teammate or a comrade. So it has those connotations to it. Katsuhiko said, that guy, he actually failed the protest once. Then he tried again and passed. He is a hard worker. Even outside group training, he was often taking notes, even at weight training, like noting how much of what body part to work on that day and so on. He always stretched properly too, and he never spared any effort to improve himself. That was my impression of him, which are comments that Katsuhiko has made about Kento pretty much over and over again. They're essentially the only comments that Katsuhiko will make about Kento. The only thing that was interesting is that he notes specifically here that Kento failed the protest one which is very true we talk about this in next stream part one but kento failed a private kensuke office test to get into the dojo once then he came back during a public one and passed because then he was determined to get in and prove that he could do it this becomes relevant later on but i want to note that now inoue says what do you think of him as a pro wrestler katsuhiko says he loves himself. I think basically all pro wrestlers are like that, but Kento Miyahara especially loves himself endlessly. He has always only been thinking about himself since the beginning. Inoue says, you shared a room at the dormitory. What was he like in private? Katsuhiko says, there weren't any remarkable memories from my day-to-day -day life. I can't remember. I think Okida was in the same year as him. Around that time, many juniors came and went, eventually fading away unnoticed, but Kento stuck around and he's still in the industry. This is very interesting because we knew about Kento's life in the dojo via his photo book that we had translated, Kana translated that for us, but he doesn't know that Katsuhiko was his roommate. So this is interesting information. This is actually the first time that I knew that they were roommates in the dojo. Inoue asked, what was he like as an individual? Katsuhiko says, when he was training with me, it wasn't as though his punches were particularly strong, but he was flexible for such a tall guy and he could do all sorts of movements. So I think he is a very versatile, all-rounded athlete. And then Inoue suggests that he hit a wall during his Kensuke office days. And by a wall, um, he means that he plateaued in his growth. I think that Inoue is hinting at his leaving Kensuke office and joining Voodoo Murders and moving on to um, All Japan by making that sort of comment. Katsuhiko replies, I'm not sure about that because I'm not him, but I remember entering tag leagues and stuff together as Kensuke office. When he was in Noah, he was still at the stage of making the Kenta Miyahara name known to the audience. He was still a newbie back then. Inoue says, when did you start considering him as an opponent? This becomes important later on. Katsuhiko says, consider him as a fighting opponent? Never. On the contrary, when this match was set up, I was like, oh, he's an opponent. I don't know if I said this before, but this is all taking place just before the dome match. So he's saying that like, oh, he's never been an opponent for me. I've never even considered him um, an opponent for me, which is going to, again, become more relevant later. Inoue asks, did you keep an eye on him after he moved to All Japan? Katsuhiko says, of course, I didn't watch everything, but I saw that he went to All Japan and got belts and information like that, so I thought, he's working hard, don't get injured, he's doing great. It was more like I watched over him from a distance. This is so interesting, and I think, Rachel, you found this really interesting, too, because this is very much the senior still watching his junior in a different promotion. And we're going to talk later when we get into the press conference for One Night Dream. He will talk about Kento in a completely different way than when he is actually with Kento. So him saying here that he watched him a little bit when Kento moved to All Japan, that is not what he says when they're together at the press conference, because there he can get under Kento's skin. This is different. Did you have the same feeling about that? Oh, yeah, I was completely like, I, I, I wish I could show like express my expression I was like 
You sure? You really? Okay. Okay, Nakajima. Like, I was really surprised because he, um, and we'll talk about it in the press conference, was very dismissive of like, oh, man, I've seen a little bit. Like, I knew he was still wrestling. And that's always what, that's always what he said about Kento. But then this interview sort of suggests something different. And I I think the the truth is more within a way than it would be when mm-hmm. he's talking to Miyahara and you're hundred percent correct as to why. And that's because he, he knows what to say to get to um, the great superstar Kento Miyahara and, and get in his head. So anyway asks, he is the absolute ace of all Japan. Now, did you think he would come this far? And Katsuhiko says he is a tall guy. So all Japan suits him. And I thought he would do better there than in Noah. He is where he is now because he took the opportunity himself. Good for him. I feel like the current Kento Miyahara is a completely different person from the Kento Miyahara I know. Inoue says, since this card has now been decided, the feud between Miyahara and Nakajima has been the focus of many. And he sort of trails off. Katsuhiko says, maybe for Kento, I was in his way. And then Katsuhiko laughs. Maybe that's why we never crossed paths for 10 years, despite how small this industry is. Once again, I think this is such an interesting industry. And you can feel in his soft little voice, him being very sarcastic and just, you know, kind of laughing um, with Inoue, which is very interesting. And then Inoue asks, so you think he's been avoiding you, right? And Inoue, like really leaning into this with him. And Katsuhiko says, well, you see, if he stays with me, he can never become the best, right? So it was the right move to go to all Japan where I am not. Maybe it's when I say stuff like this that makes Kento hate me more. And he laughs again. Other things to note from Inoue's Katsuhiko interview, Katsuhiko noted that Kento didn't talk much at all when he was in Kensuke Office Diamond Ring, but he loves talking in All Japan. He also thought that Kento Suwama and Yuma did not do a good job promoting their Tokyo Dome match and was very disparaging of their efforts, of course he was. He felt Kento refusing to say more about their relationship wasn't helpful because, quote unquote, not that many people know about us. So he was trying to put forth the idea that people just don't know anymore about them over the course the last decade when Inoue pointed out that it had been 10 years Katsu said yeah they meaning the fans won't get it if Kento doesn't explain our relationship too because at that point Kento was was like you know grandstanding and saying like I'm not talking about this I'm not sharing my memories with you and wouldn't answer questions directly about Katsuhiko so some very interesting closing sentiments there from Katsuhiko yeah, this is really, this is a really fun interview. Um, and it's, it's very interesting because you get a lot more, um, you get a lot of things here that will recur throughout the build of this, um, particularly the idea that he suspects that he was in Kento's way the whole time and that, that he's this wall who's, was stopping Kento from becoming who he is now and and from getting away from him, Miyahara was able to grow, which you pointed out um, to me, Alicia, that's very much taking Miyahara's success and and sort of centering it back on Nakajima, even if it's not, you know, like he's not being particularly mean about it. Like it's it's still Kento's success and, and it's still Kento's drive, but he is drawing it back to himself in some ways. And, and that's very interesting. And that's something that we get to see a little bit more of. When we talk about the toe-spo pieces later on in this episode, that becomes even more evident. That's where I really became pretty adamant that that's what he was trying to do, that he can make everything that Kendo has done since he left Diamond Ring an extension of his own success, an extension of his own legacy, because then he can make it, well, you, you left because of me, and you had to become successful because of me. 
And therefore, it's just an extension of all my success. You're successful because of me. That keeps them connected together forever. And we're going to talk about the myriad of ways the three of them do this to each other in just a moment. But I'm going to jump into Kento's section of this interview, which is very interesting because he is so resistant and tries to stonewall Kenji Miao immediately, which is something he does when he when he's in character and he's just not really interested in the questions that he's being asked. Kento won't talk about any rumors of a feud between him and Katsuhiko. He implies that he hasn't seen Katsuhiko in a decade, but he didn't ignore him per se. Like he goes in circles, which is like a great tactic from him. He's done it in other interviews about like completely innocuous things. So Miyamsan asks, so what do you think of the current Nakajima now? And Kento says, so in regards to him, there's nothing. About me, All Japan, Noah, the Ace, Noah versus All Japan, etc. Nothing like that. In regards to this match, as I said at the interview on February 2nd, I think it's enough that it's a reunion of Kento Miyahara and Katsuhiko Nakajima. If I talk about anything other than that, it will just dim in comparison. What do you think? And he pushes everything back onto Meow like almost the entire time. So Meow says, so would you want the viewers to assume whatever they want to assume? And Kento says, I don't even want to say that. Only I know my true feelings. So I don't want to say lightly to the fans like, please imagine stuff in your mind. <laughs> Meow says, so everything is decided when you see eye to eye in the ring. And Kento says, that's right. When I wrote, there's nothing else to be said on SNS, that was it for me. Meow says, so meaning, don't ask me anything else? And Kento says, so meaning, what else would you understand? And then Meow says, when you say that, which more or less what he's saying is don't say that because he doesn't really even know what to say to Kento at this point. This is a much longer interview, but Kento doesn't really say much of anything except go in circles and drive um, Meow crazy. Kento replies, of course, but the more I talk about it, the cheaper the story becomes. When you look at Perez as a whole, this reunion is one of a kind. Not knowing until meeting in the ring, I haven't had that experience in recent times. Meow says, did you want to one day face Nakajima-san? And he's trying just to get him to even say he like has been wanting to face Katsuhiko this whole time. And Kento says, I vaguely thought a day like this may eventually come, <laughs> which is not an answer at all. Meow says, maybe that's all we will ask about Nakajima-san. And Kento says, that's enough, right? And that's kind of how they end that portion of it. Meow's next sort of strategy in this is to go, are you interested in Keno? You debuted in the same year. And Kento says, not at all in regards to this match. Honestly, I can't see anything about Noah or All Japan past this match until it's finished. Probably because the reunion to me is bigger than anything else. And Meow says, so you do think about it. And Kento says, it's a pretty big deal in my Perez career. And Meow says, so you're saying Keno dims in comparison to the glorious reunion. And Kento says, not dim, but this is the reality of the situation. So that's just how it goes. He brings excitement to Noah and talks on the mic and brings in new cultures, which is good for Noah. But I don't think he can win against this reunion. Other athletes can think whatever. But for me, this match is all about the reunion and nothing else. And this is essentially where they sort of end this interview because he wouldn't talk about Katsuhiko or the importance of this match for the entire interview until Meow starts talking about Keno. And then Kento doesn't want anyone to think that Anything going on with Keno is going to eclipse how important this match with Katsuhiko is for him. So then he, that's what gets him going a little bit. And then he doesn't want to talk anymore. So it's a fascinating read and very classic Kento. Like, but this is probably the most stalling I've ever seen him do in an interview. You do learn little dribs and drabs. Um, what I thought was most interesting about this part is that he talks about how if he just talks about what happened and actually like 
puts like details out there, it's going to cheapen the story, which really plays into what we're talking about, how this is a story told in the negatives, um, which keeps people rooted and sort of fascinated to the story because we don't actually know what's happened. And that's more interesting than if Kento just told us. And it's so interesting that Kento says that because in this exact same interview, Kento also says, oh, I don't want to tell fans to just imagine it in their own head, but he is <laughs> like he he is. And, and he's telling them, you know, not directly, but he's letting this um, negative space fill up in the fans heads and that that will come up later. Actually, um, Kinamiya has a really good quote about it later on that we will talk about. Um, but yeah, yeah, this interview is fantastic. Miao-san really puts up with a, a lot. He comes up with a really good strategy here, um, getting getting him going about Keno. So so he sort of starts talking about the reunion in that way. But yeah, this is there's just a lot of really interesting stuff here. And most of it is in how stubborn and quiet Miyahara really is about this like he how he gives him the runaround it it tells a lot without saying everything and that's that's really a lot of where Kento Miyahara's talents are is he just can work a story from many different ways and many different aspects of his character and his personality it's just really brilliant work it absolutely is. And we see that continue throughout the build to One Night Dream. But let's go back to Masa because we want to take time to talk about that tag match briefly when he goes over to All Japan in the end. So I'll just talk about the build going into that because there was actually quite a bit that went into this. So as we said before, Kento demanded Masa show up to All Japan's Shinkaba first ring show on February 27th, which is Kento's birthday, in a suit and ready to apologize to him for not saying hello at the Tokyo Dome. And he wanted all this, of course, to occur in the ring. Um, instead, Yoshiki Inamura came and challenged Kento to a match at All Japan Shinjuku Face Show on March 14th, which Kento accepted. And he also wanted to send Inamura home with a souvenir. So he really, you know, set this up kind of beautifully. But Kento went on to defeat Inamura and continued to call Masa out, going so far as to arrive at Noah's March 19th show in Yokohama Budokan to address Masa in the ring in his suit as well. So, yeah, so throughout the whole build, and we mentioned this, um, Kento continually addressed Kitamiya by his shoot name and the name he wrestled under in Kensuke Office Diamond Ring, Mitsuhiro Kitamiya. He blatantly refused to acknowledge Kitamiya as anything else. And again, it just goes back to that brutal reminder of Kitamiya's place as his junior. Until his visit to Noah on March 19th, in which he saw that Kitamiya was billed as Masa Kitamiya. So on the mic in the ring, he stated that he didn't know that Kitamiya had changed his name, that nobody had told him. And he say he said, it is still 100 years too early for you to be using Masa Saito's name. And that is what finally pushed Kitamiya to accept a match. And then a tag match was set up for them at All Japan's Oda War Show on March 21st. It's fascinating because we've been touching on this, but Kento was so downright nasty to Masa during this whole exchange between them. Like nasty to him in a way that he has yet, even after we're post now one um one night dream, he has yet to 
even land on a definitive feeling publicly about Katsuhiko. He was so mean to Masa. He called him stupid. He called him lazy. Like he he those comments hurt me more than I think almost anything that they've all ever said about each other. Because to call someone stupid and lazy is so cruel. And he knew he was being cruel. That's like some of the worst shit that's ever come out of his mouth. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard to read. It was hard to watch that his only memories of um, Amasa in the dojo was like, oh, I thought he was stupid. He wasn't good for anything other than holding my bags. And it it was just awful. It was it was horrible. The things that he said. And um, that brings us to this match and that's Kinyo Okada, Masakitamiya and Yoshiki Inamura. And um, I do want to note that at some point Masakitamiya was the dojo captain in NOAA and um, Kinya Okada and Yoshiki Inamura were his juniors in the dojo, which is quite significant. And they faced off against Kento Miyahara and his two choices of teammates, Ru Inoue and Yuma Anzai, also products the all japan dojo so very um important here that we have two seniors and then two um products of their home dojos and this match is amazing like this is what this is another match that you and i just love it's such a like all these matches are like different levels of devastating and yet so good and like have become comfort matches for us but you and i will eventually when we record next stream part two talk more about this as well but what sort of breaks out in this match that is i think really palpable and very easy to see is how much masa is a leader compared to kento who is not really a leader of men and that speaks to his sort of philosophies on like what next stream was meant to be which was yeah, we're we're a faction where, you know, we're kind of, we're banding together, but we're also rivals and we're also going to fight each other. And we're also like all vying for the top spot, which is a very interesting way to develop a faction together, right? And it shows in the history of Next Stream, like how that sort of plays out, right? With Masa though, you can see how much he is the leader. Like you said, he was the dojo captain and Kenya and um, Inamura, like they respond to him being there and they respond to him and his leadership in the ring. And that's what wins them this match. You know, Masa's team wins, um, which is, you know, it's it's incredible. It's incredible to see. And it really just kind of strikes that difference of, between the two of them, their different wrestling philosophies and who they are in their own dojos. It's a, it's not that Kento isn't valuable to someone like Ryo or Yuma Anzai. It's just that he is not really leading them in the kayfabe of it all. He is always looking out for number one, which is superstar Kento Miyahara before anybody else in the kayfabe, right? That's not Masa. That's not who Masa has become. And that I think you really get as that match plays out. Yeah, and and you can see it in almost like any of the dojo guys. Like Junta Miyawaki talks about Masa all the time. Like what a great cook he is, what a great captain he was, how kind he was to them. Um, Actually, Kaido Kiyomiya uh, during the English commentary of all things of um, Keno versus Satoshi Kojima kept talking about how good of a, a chef Masakita Mia was and, and how those were like the best days in the dojo. And, and it just really shows like how much care he really puts into these guys and what a leader he is. And then you see it in this match, like they listen to him, they respect him. And that ultimately is what leads him to that victory. He does not get the pinfall on Kento Miyahara but Kento Miyahara concedes defeat because Masakita Mia was a senior 
to his juniors and he was the kind of senior that Kento Miyahara was not to him. Mm -hmm. So after the match, Kento addresses Kitamiya as Masa Kitamiya and calls himself a former senior of Masa's, no longer lording his title over Kitamiya's head, stating, I will say this, as your former senior, Masa Saito's Masa Kitamiya, climb to the top of pro wrestling Noah as quickly as you can, which is as close to an apology as we're going to get. And it was just a really beautiful moment from Kento. And then we get Masa's response. (laughs) So Masa um, Kitamiya does grab the mic and responds to him in the ring. Hey, you're great on microphone as usual, you son of a bitch. It's a complete victory for pro wrestling Noah. This kind of rivalry is over. From the very day I joined Kensuke office 12 years ago, I hated you. I don't care if you're the best or not. Stay out of my life. That's all. Backstage Masa goes on to state, whether it's baseless confidence or not, it's our victory. It's a complete victory for pro wrestling Noah. As I said before the match, there's no merit to be involved with All Japan Pro Wrestling any longer. Closing that door and shutting Kento out of his life. And this is how Masa has always tried to handle it. Really, and we'll talk about this continuously, but Masa is beholden to only himself. The only person, other person that Masa would be beholden to is the memory of Masa Saito. And that's it. And this really is, this is an apology from Kento. This is about the most, um, I don't even think he's ever apologized to like Jake or Yuma <laughs> in the way that he apologized to Masa here. Oh man. It's, it's such an incredible, um, it's such an incredible thing from him. Cause again, he, he doesn't really do this. Like it's such a rare thing, but like you can tell that there is something cathartic about that moment, even with Masa, I don't want to say rejecting him, but like like you said, slamming the door shut because Masa really doesn't want the past to bleed into his his current life. And you almost have to respect that from him. But you and I noted at the time how meaningful it was that he acknowledged that he was using the wrong name and then started using the right name and then acknowledged that Masa Saito is Masa Kidemia. Like, holy shit. Like, that's just, you know, uh, that's just so much. Um. And it's interesting, too, to note here, there's two things I want to note. Kento has not spoken about Masa since. Not in the press, not on tweets, hasn't spoken about Masa. It feels like learning a lesson and giving someone the space that they asked for in this, which is relevant. Will this hold forever? Probably not. I hope it doesn't, because I hope that we get a singles match from them. I hope that we build other things between them. But it feels in this that he respected Masa enough to leave him alone. And sometimes that says a lot more than almost anything else, right? The other thing I want to note too here is Masa saying, I hated you. Because that is such a definitive statement. And throughout the course of this, it is actually Masa who feels so much more grounded in reality when it comes to his own emotions and actually how he feels about both of them. Because it's not the first time that he said that he hates either of them at this point. And he really hates the other one. So <laughs> I appreciate that Masa in this. Um, and he's not a huge talker either, per se. But when he does speak, it's usually very powerfully 
very to the point. You don't question where Masa stands on something, and he's honest. The other two, when they come to the table, are not nearly as honest about their own feelings, but it's Masa that comes through as the one who is honest and his feelings are grounded in reality and his feelings are tangible. And that's why he is someone that you can't forget in how the story plays out because maybe he's not in the ring with them all the time. And maybe he's not the one that people are like, people aren't whispering as much about Masa as they probably should be when it comes to all of this, right? They're always focused about Kento and, and Katsu, whatever, but it's Masa who has, I think some of the most emotionally impactful aspects of this story. And that's why we wanted to highlight him in this because he is so much a part of the build to one night dream as the other two. And it doesn't stop here. Like we're going to talk about him later on as well, because he is, he's so important and you, you said it beautifully. Like he's just, he's really grounded in what he says. He knows what he says. He always speaks with conviction. Um, He has incredible mic skills. He just doesn't talk that much, but when he does talk, you need to listen because he knows exactly what he is saying and um he's he's very consistent with it and it's just, it's just it's heartbreaking that he you know slams the door shut even after this beautiful you know acknowledgement from kento but it's what he needs to do and that's what kento ends up respecting and and you still you see that is that he just you said you said that perfectly and and when you first typed that to me that like he hasn't spoken a word about masa since i was blown away because yeah that's that's true he um he wants to give him that space he said stay out of my life and so kento will stay out of his life and um that's as close to growth character growth as we're getting right now hopefully that won't hold forever but right now that is a step forward for both of them and to your point about masa I forget exactly how you just phrased it, but you have to almost wonder if Kento reached for something. Kento is a very eloquent speaker at times, and you almost have to wonder if he reached for things as base, as stupid and lazy to sort of drag Masa down, knowing that Masa is a very powerful speaker. I don't know. Like, I always think about those comments because it's almost like those things are so mean and they're so different than how, like... It's not that different. He's he said he said shitty things before, but like it's just there's something about using that with Masa that to me just feels like trying to hurt him for the sake of hurting him. And I think that's what I keep returning to. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Is that he knew that if he said the right thing, Masa would respond because it it's like you said he um, is a man of few words, but but when he speaks, he speaks, and um, and Kento does know that. So he tried stupid, he tried lazy, he tried pulling up, you know, stuff from their past that you're nothing more than a bag boy. And Masa didn't respond to any of it until he said, you are not worthy of Masa Saito's name. And that's what did it. That's clicked on the light. He was, you know, deliberately trying all of these things to get that moment from Masa Kitamiya. And that's what ended up happening. And it was, it was just really good work from both of them because they're both incredible speakers yeah that makes sense we're gonna move into the one night dream build now but we'll see some of the testing that goes on and how not so fruitful that is as we get into that conference um so (laughs) 
Let's begin at NOAA Green Journey 2023 on June 17th in Aichi Nagoya International Conference Center Event Hall. Axis defeated Congo, and backstage Katsuhiko Nakajima announced that he and Kento Miyahara would have a singles match for the first time in nearly 11 years, like I said before, at NOAA's July 15th One Night Dream card in Corrigan Hall. And before this, there had not been a single other match, um, I think, announced for One Night Dream. So this all sort of came about around this main event out of nowhere, because after Masa and Kento finished up, we had no idea where this was going. We thought we'd maybe get something else this year, but no idea when. We were kind of hoping, I think, that we'd see maybe Kento in the N1. That didn't come to fruition, but we got this. We got a main event in Cork and Hall. So um, you had translated Katsuhiko's backstage, which I'm just going to read through really quickly. We had actually read this out on Talking Triple Crown as well, but this was Katsuhiko announcing that he um, was calling for this singles match to happen at One Night Dream. So Katsuhiko says, as you can see, Axis is in great shape. Shio says, Next up is the singles at Quark and Hall. With the power of everyone's thoughts and feelings, I will definitely get the three count against Keno. Katsuhiko says, and on Congo, the world tag titles. Keno, even though you lost, you still advertised your own event. And he was talking about Keno's 15th anniversary show. That's why Noah is being mocked. Listen up, All Japan Pro Wrestling. Let's do something interesting. July 15th at Noah's Cork and Hall show, Katsuhiko versus Kento Miyahara in a singles match. It's decided. And then a reporter backstage said, why so suddenly? Which we were also wondering. And Katsuhiko said, well, let me finish. Hey, Kento, let's have a conversation in the ring after all these years. The time has come. And he had said in February as part of his backstage comments that that match was not enough time for them to have a proper conversation. So we were waiting for when their conversation would be scheduled. And as it turns out, it was going to be July 15th and one night dream. So as we've been hinting at, we're going to talk about the conference, which was so telling. Noah held a press conference on June 20th that Kento and Katsuhiko attended to address the singles match announcement, which can be viewed on their YouTube page. Rachel has been kind enough to translate the transcript of their interactions with each other, and it's available at our blog. You can go to kickout299.wordpress.com to read that if you haven't checked it out already. Yeah, so this press conference <laughs> is just exceptional it's it's a lot it's um a lot to digest it starts off with kento miyahara uh, with this big speech about how he is this big superstar and he doesn't care about all japan or pro wrestling noah this is all about the wrestling industry at large with superstar kento miyahara standing on top and katsuko nakajima's not on the same level anymore now is he and that becomes sort of the theme of this press conference like he has some really great lines like down in the press conference I think he also says like you used to be on the forefront of this industry and that was an interesting line like that's what you and I had talked about quite a bit because I've always thought that that portrayed something else like he he's we just talked about the testing right testing of Kento trying to figure out what was going to break Masa He's still trying to figure out what's going to break Katsuhiko. As it turns out, Katsuhiko is really, really hard to break. With Kento and using that type of line, with saying, you know, you used to be the best, implying that like you used to be at the forefront of the wrestling industry and now you're not, Katsu doesn't react to this. But I think that something like that portrays something else in Kento. And it's that he admired Katsuhiko when they were in the dojo together and they were, and he was sort of watching Katsu's back to use a phrase that they use quite a bit 
in wrestling. He would have been watching Katsu's back. We have some quotes later on that I'm going to share about what the experience of being Katsu's second would have been like for Kento as well. But that to me said a lot that he was using that to try to get at Katsu to see if he could break him in that way and try to get a rise out of him, which he didn't. But also I thought that it portrayed something that we don't often see Kento do either, especially with Katsuhiko, is that he, I think, is trying to say that he, you know, admired Katsuhiko and admired what he had been able to achieve when they were younger already and in Diamond Ring together. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly it, is that there was a lot of um a lot of testing here and a lot of Pento sort of slowly revealing himself um rather than really revealing anything of Nakajima but Nakajima still also sort of showed a little bit of his own hand you you had um some good some good lines um particularly the one we had talked about earlier in this he was asked how have you felt watching your opponent's success over the past 10 years? And Nakajima responds with, I didn't have much information about Kento. I really had access to stuff from magazines such as, you know, Pro Wrestling Martial Arts DX and Shukan Pro Wrestling. But really, I knew he was an active wrestler. I'm not sure how much that will affect our match. But for us, our history together is something that will never disappear but I wonder what that looks like now. I'm genuinely looking forward to having a singles match with the current Kento Miyahara. And so he he really just plays up like, I don't really know what he was up to the past 10 years, but you know, Which I- Which is I sort of such bullshit. <laughs> he's so full of shit. And that's like, it's the tone change from when he's alone with Inoue to here- next to Kento saying, I just don't have, I don't know what he's been doing for 10 years. Kento's a a six time former triple crown champion. He knows exactly what Kento's been doing for 10 years. And then you have Kento on the flip side of it, trying to demonstrate that like, actually I've surpassed you. I've done more than you. I'm a six time former triple crown champion. And Katsu not leaning into that bait. Yeah, he, they straight up, like, I think the very next question is, uh, Miyahara stated that you're not on his level. And Nakajima literally responds with, that must be Kento's way of provoking me. I accept it. And he has this smug little smile. I actually, um, if you go onto the blog, I screen capped that, that exact expression because it just encapsulated everything about that press conference. And that was Nakajima smirking the whole time. He just takes it all water off a duck's back for everything that Kento tries. And, and Kento's not, and, and this you stated beautifully, he's not tearing at Nakajima the way that he tore at Masakita Mia. He's not calling him stupid. He's not calling him lazy. He's, he's not going in on that because he can't. That's his senior. That was his first senior that he ever had. He even states that like when I first wanted to become a wrestler, Nakajima was the examiner for my dojo entrance exam. Like he he goes into this and um, really states, you know, like he's the first senior I ever had. So there's only so much he can say because he's still ruled by that hierarchy and Nakajima knows that and Nakajima smirks and Nakajima smiles and he just accepts it. <laughs> and that's the worst thing you can do when you're trying to provoke someone is, is you can just accept it. Exactly. Exactly. 
one of the sadder things I think Kendo said in this, and he said something like this before. He actually said it in his 2020 photo book interview, and you and I talked about it on Next Dream Part One. But he's asked, you know, what kind of presence does Katsuhiko Nakajima, your senior, have in your life? And you just, you know, kind of read part of that in that he talks about Katsuhiko being, you know, one of his examiners, et cetera. But he says towards the end of that response, I have lived my whole life thinking that I would never make it in this industry if I kept thinking about my seniors. And I don't intend to walk into July 15th worrying about such things either. This is such a recurring thing for him. And it's again that like they're they're constantly at war with the past and what it means to them and have they actually let the past go or not. And Katsu's asked the same question. He says, what is what presence does Kento have um, in your life? And Katsu says, you know, we don't need we have no need for the past anymore. We're here now. We're fighting now. We're living for the now. The past is the past. Past is the reason why we can have a singles match like this, but I'm not dwelling on the past anymore. And I have more thoughts and notes on this for um, a coming uh, part of this episode, but Katsuhiko's war with talking about the past is utterly fascinating because he is also someone who at once rejects it, but at the same time, desperately needs to cling to it and he's demonstrated that so often throughout his career so it's interesting to see them do a lot of that in this entire conference that sort of like clinging to the past but also rejecting the past and not really being able to find that middle ground of what they actually want when it comes to reconciling their past with Kensuke office and each other that's exactly what it is is they're they're clinging to it but they're rejecting it but they're clinging to it and they're holding it over each other but they're also saying, no, the, the present is currently what's most important. And yeah, it, it just keeps recurring and it keeps going around and around and around itself. It's just this, this merry-go-round, almost like a roller coaster of just the past and the present and the future. And this press conference sort of speaks on that really beautifully. Um, we have Nakajima then just, you know, like you said, immediately rejects the past. And then the interviewers bring it back to the past asking uh Kento Miyahara like what did you admire and respect about him which you talked about beautifully and then we sort of brought up that you you used to be at the forefront of the industry quote then they ask like well what didn't you like about him and Miyahara is like well I'll express all my feelings on July 15th in the ring which he is won't do it he just won't he won't yeah. do it he's so like and it's again that incredible stark difference between what he did to Masa before he apologized and how he will not name a single definitive feeling around Katsuhiko to this day he won't and like this is talked about in another thing I'm going to read later on in the episode he has never even said he hates Katsuhiko he won't put an emotion on it he won't name a feeling it is utterly fascinating he won't go there he won't do it he won't do it. That hierarchy that he has tried to reject in all Japan rules him in this relationship. He cannot get out of the way of it. Yeah, it's it's just dizzying to see, but it's extremely consistent. And speaking of consistent, you then have Nakajima, who is asked what he admired about Miyahara. And of course, <laughs> Nakajima um, just answers the exact same thing. It's when was this over 10 years ago? He was very serious about everything, including practice. He had that kind of perseverance or rather that type of attitude where I definitely thought that he would grow as a wrestler. And then when they asked what um, Nakajima wanted to see fixed or didn't really like uh, Nakajima said that there was really nothing that, you know, he's, he's fine. He's good. One of the things that came up here a little bit, I believe is that in this, 
this was something that you and I talked to death about, Rachel, because we couldn't really make sense of everyone's differing feelings about this. From the jump, from when this was announced, Kento made sure to tell everybody, this has nothing to do with All Japan and Pro Wrestling Noah. This is about me and Katsuhiko Nakajima, which then makes it less about business and less about wrestling and the industry. And it becomes immediately much more personal. And that's very interesting when it's Kento Miyahara making this very, very personal. That's what it felt like from him. Then you have Katsuhiko and Masa, who we'll get to in a second when we talk about the vignettes weighing in. They try to make it about all Japan versus Noah. No one can come to an agreement on what this is actually about. And it's and it's funny, but that's what this entire situation is, is three people with three different sets of memories about each other. And no one can come to an agreement on what they're even mad about anymore. The only thing they have in common is that they can't fucking stand each other right now. That's all they have in common. They can't agree on anything, including what this match is even supposed to represent. But Katsuhiko, of course, wants to make it about All Japan versus Noah, right? Because then it's not personal. Yeah, that's exactly it. He started this this match, like he proposed it under this sort of really vague pretense that, you know, he was protecting Noah after Keno Noah slash Keno like Like, standing up for him after the world tag things like very odd very like the weirdest like flimsiest kayfabe ever to just get to Kento we could have booked that better (laughs) probably (laughs) we didn't didn't really need to and, and a lot of like the um just like reporters and and random like you know fluff things I've pulled here and there have said like they've they've pretty much ignored everything that happened in between um the the dome match and this match which is a shame because you should be paying attention to Masa but um they really much were like okay the dome match sets up this match like that's it it's about a conversation they wanted to have a conversation they're having the conversation and that's true that's 100% true to Kento's point, it only ever has to be Katsuhiko Nakajima versus Kento Miyahara. You don't need that much else. But like, this is, you know, I love Katsuhiko, but like, letting him be the one in some way set this up is actually where you get the flimsiest kayfabe in the world sometimes. And he did a fantastic job. We'll talk about it with with, um, One Night Dream. He did a great job on the mic. But that's what I'm chalking that up to. They just needed a hot angle to get in there, make the match, even if it's not necessarily on like it's not the way that you and I would have done it basically yeah exactly and and he did a good job and and like you said there's still a good character moment in there where he's sort of using that like hey all Japan let's do something kind of interesting and and sort of throwing out there and he's the helmsman he's got to do his thing to protect Noah and he's within his rights to do that so it it does in some ways loop itself around to making sense but this could have been done differently so it's interesting though they can't come to a determination around what this is truly about but i think the most noteworthy thing is that kento immediately makes it personal this is not about all japan this is not about noah and for him to say something isn't about all japan wild this is just about him and katsuhiko and they determine in this as well that there's going to be no limits there's no time limit in this so we're approaching this match knowing that there will be no time limits between them for this conversation 
And um, this is where I think Kento started to get really annoyed at the press and he was kind of done with this entire um, experience. Um, and then he was done. He was like, I'm not accepting any more questions um, until July 15th. So until that day, we're done. And then they got up, they started posing for the final photos. They go face to face and Kento delivers Katsuhiko's slap to Katsuhiko and puts Katsuhiko out. He crumples to the floor, which actually looked kind of great. Yeah. So that's kind of where we ended up at the press conference. Yeah, that was uh, shocking to say the least. Like I, I was hollering. I was actually watching this on my phone at work. And I, I started hooting and hollering when uh, that happened. And Miyahara um, is lording over and pointing at a fallen Nakajima and shouts. And that's how I say hello, which um, is is very important that he, he uses that as a greeting of sorts and then after Miyahara left Nakajima comes to his senses and stands up and he looks at the camera with this mysterious smile he goes right back to that smirk sort of rubs his chin a little bit and uh yeah the the curtains rise upon one night dream we start to to get really into the build proper and that's what um ends up leading to these um we get a lot of vignettes from the uh pro wrestling noah youtube and then we also have some tokyo sports articles that we really wanted to talk about so this build is interesting because we don't see katsu and kendo in the same room again until they're in korokin it's also important to note that the korokin tickets for this sold out like essentially within i think uh, two days korokin um had to immediately do the super no vacancy standing or only type of like tickets like they haven't had to do that for one match announced in a card in absolutely ages like I can't remember like the last time a match felt this way like the only thing that's even comparable would be like all Japan versus Noah for the dome but like the dome was a completely different animal so I know people complained at the time too that this was happening in Corkin, but I just want to stress the importance of this match actually happening within Corkin. Corkin is where so many diamond ring shows occurred. There's so many memories for both of them in that venue. It's critical. I think that this the singles match after 11 years of them not having a singles match happened in this venue. It kind of sets a certain tone. I think it kind of keeps them all trapped in these memories in a way that you don't get if you bring them to a much larger venue. So in that way, I think it works out really well. Um, and it looked great, obviously, when we were actually at One Night Dream with um, you know, a super no vacancy corkin. So um, as you said, we started with a bunch of these vignettes, which were really, really well done from Noah. Um, they filmed with a lot of people. They filmed with Masakidania, who I think had the most devastating one. Um, they filmed with uh, Kyohei Wada, a famous All Japan referee, which is a really interesting choice. They filmed Kento, of course, Katsuhiko. They filmed Go Shiyazaki, which is probably the choice that I wouldn't have made for this. He has been around for a really long time, but like I don't know that we learned as much of, from him as we learned from other people. They also filmed with Naomichi Marafuji, who had a lot of perspective on both of them because he sort of watched them um, from when they were like much younger, almost like kids, um, to where they are now. So a lot of really fascinating um, people sat down for these. So we'll just talk about some of the highlights. Yeah, we actually wanted more. We wanted them to film with everybody. We wanted Keno. We wanted Yumao Yagi. We wanted Jake Lee. Jake. We wanted now you know everybody. Everyone who has ever talked to any of them. We needed all of their perspectives. Yeah. Um, 
Sugira, let's get them all in there. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, it was, it was really good. And and Keno did do a live stream where he talked a little bit about this match because of course he did. And um, he he had some interesting insight. His big thing that I really liked and I had mentioned to you, um, Alicia, was that he had some insight on Nakajima where he's he said, I think he's putting on a brave face, but he's actually afraid of losing to Kento Miyahara, which of course was a massive read from Keno, the king of reading people. Um, but yeah, I, I think he really sums it up. And, and he does... The one thing I want to state about Keno here is that he really divorces himself from this story and states flat out in this video, I am a fan and I am reading this story as a fan. I am having fun with it as a fan. Like he straight up says, like, I'm having a great time um, watching this as a fan. So he's sort of putting in his own read. But again, it goes back to what you were saying. He's speaking on this as a fan. So now we have these YouTube videos of people who are deeply involved in the story, not as fans, and their reads on it and and their you know feelings about it. So the first one I wrote down here was Kento. This video touches on the Muto retirement show match with Kento sort of reiterating that it was just a short conversation. He states that he is a true superstar at the forefront of the industry right now and, and really does a lot of work to put himself above the current Nakajima. However, I did want to highlight two parts of this video. And one was the question, have you ever wanted to fight Nakajima? And he states, no, <laughs> it feels like we were fighting without fighting. We didn't touch each other directly, but that's the fun thing about professional wrestling. We weren't fighting physically, but it felt like we were fighting for something. Our position in the professional wrestling world and I'm really glad that we talked about the interview with Meow-san because Meow does ask this question and he gives that classic runaround like, well, maybe I thought it could happen, but now we are several months later and he's sort of thought about it. And now he has sort of this insight of like, well, we've always been fighting and we're fighting about our position in the wrestling world, which I think sums up a lot of things about this, this feud. Feud. <laughs> Yeah, I think it always was, right? And it kind of goes back to even Katsuhiko's comments and uh, Katsuhiko's comments about Kendo and, you know, kind of leaving Diamond Ring and needing to go off to all Japan to find a place to be the best because he couldn't be the best in Kensuke office, right? And like, that's, that's it. They've always been fighting for to be the best in their respective areas because they cannot exist in the same spot together. They need to outshine each other. And I think that's the crux of their problems together. They were never meant to actually be good together ever because, and that's sad. That's sad to say, but they were never meant to be good to each other because they both need to be superstars. They both need to be the center of attention. And when you have two people who are like that, it doesn't work. It can't work. That's who they are. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And Miyahara really sums that up perfectly there. Um, next question he's asked that I, I really um, enjoyed was, what is Nakajima's strength to you? And this is the closest he really gets to being mean to Nakajima. And even then, not really. Um, but he states, I think he is definitely one of the top three strongest wrestlers in the industry today. If you look at every company, I think he's definitely one of the top three in terms of strength. 
However, I doubt he's really able to bring that strength to Noah. Wasn't he stronger in Kensuke office? That's how I feel. When he was visiting other companies while in Kensuke office, he was incredibly strong. He had this ambition to really make something from a match or to devour his opponent during a match. It was amazing. That's how I felt watching him up close. I was just a youngster though. I was a new wrestler at the time and I could see hunger in my senior's eyes. That time has passed though and I have become a superstar. On July 15th, maybe NOAA fans will get to see a Katsuhiko Nakajima they've never seen before, which I thought was very interesting. And I, I think we'll probably come back to that one because I have a couple of thoughts on it. I, I do. That's fascinating. Some heavy implications in that one because he's firmly trying to place Katsuhiko's strength as a professional wrestler in the past, whereas Kento is a superstar in the present. And that's heavy, implying that Katsuhiko, when he was younger, was hungrier and at the forefront of the industry and just a different wrestler. And that today, the Noah fans, with him facing Kento, will get to see a Katsuhiko Nakajima they've never seen before. That's heavy. That's a very heavy implication. He, he basically said, you fell off. Yeah. He said, you yeah. fell off. You fell off. He said, get good, Katsuhiko. Well, Nakajima, um, this this video, for Nakajima's video, it was pretty much what we're going to talk about in his Tokyo Sports Review. Like, it, it's pretty much what we've been talking about this whole time, that, you know, he's a, um, that Kento was a great junior and, and you know, things like that. And, and we will discuss that, uh, especially as we get to the Tokyo Sports interview. However, what's really important and interesting, um, and this doesn't come up again, but it might later, is that when Nakajima is asked, is there anyone you want to watch this match? Nakajima responds, someone. There is someone I want to see it. Is that what you want me to say? He laughs. There's only one person I can think of. And he laughs again. But I'm not going to put that name out there. I don't really want to say that name. So that leaves a lot of questions that we haven't really gotten an answer to. And I think we all sort of know who that is. But again, it's it's a lot of telling story in the negative space. We're filling this in. We're saying like, oh, he, he means Kensuke Sasaki. He must mean Kensuke Sasaki. But we don't really know for certain. And he's leaving that to us by straight up saying, is that what you want me to say? Like he's, he's letting us fill in that blank because Nakajima at the end of the day is a little bit of a bastard, but you know, it's, it's really fascinating and hefty. What are your thoughts on it? Do you, um, did you think he was talking about Kensuke? Do you think we might see Kensuke and Hokuto ringside someday? Uh, well, I think he was definitely talking about Kensuke and I think that's what every reporter is trying to get him to talk about it's funny how he gets asked about kensuke but kento never gets asked about kensuke even though kento has also in recent memory like taken pictures with kensuke and put them on his instagram yeah. uh yeah so i don't know that we'll ever see kensuke and hokuto at one of these i don't unless like they have gotten significantly further in the build in terms of what they're hoping to do uh with this story but i thought maybe this would draw them out only because it's the two of them and this is going to be at this point they've had four singles matches now this is the only one that is recorded <laughs> so i was like well maybe maybe this will draw kensuke and hokuto to the, the venue but 
uh, they didn't come. So I don't know. I, I really can't say they don't come to much. Hokuto comes to more than Kensuke, but it's not really to these types of events. Hokuto's done more stuff on the Joshi side of things. So I don't know. I think that there's a possibility, but it would have to really be like the story would have to progress to a certain type of level. And it would need to, I think, be the right venue. It's like it's a really like a, a right time, right place sort of thing. If it happens, it's gonna be big and there's gonna be a lot going on. And and you can bet we're we're gonna cover it. So yeah. <laughs> we will sure. be here for you guys. Um yeah, no, it, it's it's definitely something worth chewing on though. And and props to Nakajima for giving us a little bit to chew on there. Speaking of things to chew on, the next one would be uh, Masakita Mia's video. And um, this one was, like you said, devastating. <laughs> it's just really, really incredible. So he starts off basically, they ask him how he feels about um, both of them. And I do think it's important that he says, I hate him. You know, he hates them both. They ask about Nakajima. He says, I hate him. I can't really talk about it. Don't want to talk about it. They ask him, what about Miyahara? don't like him either. And that just, again, goes back to what you said. He knows how he feels and he he goes straight into it. And um, he talks a lot about the sort of distance he felt between them in the dojo, which is something that comes up. He, he doesn't really think that they were all that close, um, which we will talk about a little bit later as well. But I think probably the most important part and the part that devastated me the most was the interview. interviewer asks, is there a wall between Nakajima and Miyahara? And I really, really do encourage you to watch this video and watch Masa's face as he is talking about this. He does a whole lot of awkward laughing and he sort of goes through with, seems like he starts laughing. It looks like, what do you even want to hear? I'm not here to reminisce about the olden days. I hope the media and the fans have fun indulging themselves with illusions, but I'm not part of it. Fighting over petty grudges like seniority and juniority, I don't think they'd be fighting on such a small scale, even though I truly despise both of them. Isn't there a bigger picture? By extension, this is between Pro Wrestling Noah and All Japan Pro Wrestling. I've forgotten all about the past. It doesn't matter if they're fighting a grudge from the past or not. And that's really sums it up beautifully. And, and Alicia talked uh, quite a bit about this um, ability, like Kento's made it very personal, whereas the two from Noah are really trying to make this more about interpromotional warfare. And like straight up, Masa stated after his own match in the uh an Oda award like okay well noah has nothing to do with all japan anymore we're done it's it's over but now that it's gotten too personal he's hiding behind this again he's hiding mm -hmm. behind the inner promotion and again masa doesn't really hide behind his emotions but in this case he needs to because he really doesn't know what to say and and you can see that in his face and his laughter in this video and I, again i really encourage you all to to watch it even if you don't um have a command over the language it's really worth watching there is something to um, him asking at the beginning, what do you even want to hear? Like, that's the part that really upset me when I was reading the, I have some thoughts about this specifically going into his role at One Night Dream um, about why he keeps showing up um, to these things. But um, 
at this point, what 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 does anybody want to hear from Masa? It's it it does feel within the kayfabe of it all, very cruel to make him sit down and have to talk about these things that are very painful to him over and over and over again. So having him sit there and sort of feel, look and feel very uncomfortable and say like, what do you even want to hear? Like, it's just, again, it's, it's that, it's like that family trauma of it all and just poking at wounds over and over again on all three of them. But Masa in particular is so compelling and how he demonstrates this and just how, he portrays emotions and just the whole performance of it in him it's very compelling but also very hard to watch yeah that's that's beautifully said it is quite hard to watch at times um they they ask who his prediction is for the outcome he straight up says i don't care he says i don't know because i'm not interested either is fine and then they end it with asking some fans are hoping for a singles match between miyohara and kita mia in which masa responds We'll see when the time comes. Frankly, I haven't really accomplished much since I came to Noah. So I think that would be a good place to start before turning my attention to Kento Miyahara. So for now, I'll do my best in Noah. And and that's, again, goes back to what I was saying. He doesn't care if Miyahara calls him stupid or lazy, but when he says he's not worthy of Masa Saito's name, a piece of him is is hurt is insecure because he he hasn't accomplished what he wants to in Noah and and that's deeply painful that he still feels like that junior beneath both Miyahara and Nakajima and and you can really get his pain there and his side of the story as we go into One Night Dream. Yeah, that was really hard to read that he, for him to say it so boldly that he hasn't accomplished much in Noah. And that is absolutely linked to, like you said, like his his feelings around Masa Saito. He had a beautiful post around the anniversary of Saito-san's passing this year and like what Masa Saito means to him. That's so palpable. Like that's just where his very real and tangible feelings um, mix into some of the real but also a lot of the kayfabe aspects of the story and it just creates something that's just very very painful so i wanted to end on marafuji's video because it was actually the last video they put out of these vignettes and um they also he also has sort of a little bit more of an not an outsider perspective but he sort of sets the tone pretty well for um one night dream i feel so He's straight up asked in this video, do the two of them, so Miyahara and Nakajima, have a bad relationship? He states, well, I don't really know much about it, but with those two, there was a time where they were both in Noah as senior and junior. I think there was a relationship there that only they could understand. So it's not really my place to read too deeply into it. But, well, I didn't really feel like they were that and and he has this sort of cheeky laugh and smile here because Marafuji is a little bit of a gossip at times <laughs> <laughs> and there's you can really get that throughout this whole video like he's he's very like well I don't want to say anything but and and it's it's a very Marafuji I also encourage you to watch that but the tone is very different so he also speaks on Katsuko as a pro wrestler stating as someone who worked under Kensuke Sasaki and Akira Hokuto I always had the strong impression that he had to go through a lot of tough things at a really young age. As a young man, he had a solid sense of civility, but also a lot of ego in his youthful heart. He is a strong man 
who I believe has experienced more than most men his age, which is just also a very Marfuji um, thing to say. A lot of a lot of heart and a lot of love there. Yeah. Um, but a lot also, of empathy. Oh yeah, for sure. He is then asked, "What kind of wrestler is Miyahara?" He states, "When he was in Noah, he came across as being a serious and innocent boy, but after he moved to all Japan, he became a different person." How do I say this? I think it's great that he has this confidence that he himself doesn't always understand. He has this talent and his popularity and all that good stuff. That combination is all there, but to go that far, and he says as far as like calling himself a superstar, that kind of thing. Well, I think it's fine to have that confidence in himself. We're professional wrestlers after all. I don't know if it's a put upon character or not, but I think it's probably just his personality. And he is now showing off the part of himself that he has been suppressing. I don't think it was a bad choice for him to go to All Japan, where he could really embrace that. He's interesting as an athlete. Those were the most Mara Fuji comments I've read in a while. Oh my god. That's really funny. It's so funny to to like he because he knows Katsuhiko very well. So it's funny to see the difference in in both these comments here. That's very funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really glad. I really wanted you to, to read them because they were very Marafuji esque. Um, so I really like sat down and and wanted to hammer them out for you. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was a really good. I thought that was a really good insight on on Miyahara's character too, because you do get a lot of that. Like, there's some truth to what you know Nakajima saying. Like, he was a good, studious, reliable junior. Like he was. That's that's how he was. And then he got to all Japan and he blossomed. And there's a lot of a lot there and a lot to think about, especially as you watch one night dream and you watch this match it's just funny to see like the way that marafuji navigates that as a young man katsuhiko had a solid sense of civility but also a lot of ego in his youthful heart which like he said variations of that with katsuhiko over the years but then when you get to kendo and he's trying to work his way around like how do I say that like he calls himself a superstar but that's really arrogant but like and it's like really like funny to watch him navigate very similar things in them and like balance that but he takes it more I think as a negative quote-unquote for some reason in like the kayfabe of like discussing Kento's character which is really interesting oh these are fun comments delicious thank you for for doing those yeah yeah my gift to you they were very fun um Wada basically says like this is going to be a golden fight of the Reiwa era but I don't want to ref it um, he, he wants no part in it valid um and then Shiyazaki is very much like oh I'm so excited for this like he he very much sells the match he's and, just and a he, cheerleader yeah he's, and he, he's history rooting, with both of them yeah he's he's rooting for Nakajima but he's not going to be ringside because he's involved with both of them you know that that kind of thing so <laughs> both sidisms both uh, sidism. that's interesting to unpack I have a lot I have a lot of thoughts on that one as far as like (laughs) things that Keno says about him as being very wishy-washy and and that yes Keno's never wrong he's never wrong I have history with both of them the last time technically on paper you saw Kendo Shiyazaki you made him return the world tag titles because you were leaving all Japan and you didn't address that (laughs) and you didn't address it oh my god that's delicious well we'll save that for a different podcast anyway let's move into the tokyo sports articles because these were the subject of much discussion on twitter when they were released 
the week of the fight, these were released on the 13th and the 14th. Kento was first and then Katsuhiko was after him. And I do want to say that there were people who were passing around some very MTL translations of these on Twitter. Please be careful of who you're retweeting and liking tweets from because those MTL translations completely flattened and like destroyed the tone of both of those interviews and these were brilliant interviews to sit with and unpack this was some of the best work from both of them in the lead up to one night dream so again just a warning about following people who are posting mtl ask questions of like people who are doing this and like where they're getting their translations from because there were some word changes that once you had sat down and done the translation work, it's like those were changes in the MTL posts on Twitter were completely unnecessary and took away tone and context. Yeah, that's perfectly said. Um, at the end of the day, and, and um, Alicia and I talk about this all the time, Tokyo sports is a kayfabe rag. Like it's it's a gossip like rag. Like the New and- York Post. Think about the New York Post if you're familiar with the New York Post. This is all very much gossipy. Like the interviewers, you see it in these Toast Po pieces, like the interviewers are going in, they want to get at the gossip. That's what they're doing with these guys. That's what Toast Po is. If you guys are familiar with like Naito and his relationship with Toast Po, this is gossipy, like very much ingrained in the kayfabe type of reporting. That's what it is. You have to take it at that level and not report on it as if this is like the gospel of truth. Like there are other publications that you can look to that have a lot more introspection and a lot more like actual reporting. There are a lot of reporters in Shupro who do a great job, things like that. In a way, and Meow are good examples of that. But this is not that. Tospo is not that. And that's obviously not to say like, oh, don't read Tokyo Sports. Tospo is great. Tospo yeah. is fantastic it's if you know how to read it. Yeah. yeah. Tospo is amazing if you know how to contextualize it against the other things that are coming out in the media on pro wrestling. It's a great tool. It's a great way to keep up with kayfabe, especially in like stories that the wrestlers themselves are trying to push in the media. But you have to read it as a tool to understand kayfabe, not as news. Yep, that's exactly it, is that this is... um... This is your stories. This is your uh, your soap operas. You're sitting down to read your stories. Um, and, the, and that's the fun part about Tokyo Sports. I had so much fun translating this. Like I kept messaging Alicia. I'm like, I've had such a good time because this is such a fun, exciting set of interviews that really sets up this match. So we're going to talk about Kento's first because it came out first, like I mentioned before. And Kento's was conducted with Satoshi Maeda, which you guys are probably familiar with. That's the Maeda that Naito's always fucking around with. So that's the famous Maeda of Tospo. And the title of this one is Kento Miyahara Speaks on His Feud, and that's in quotes, with Katsuhiko Nakajima. And the quote is, our ideas of professional wrestling are 180 degrees apart, which is probably one of the more important things Kento has said at this point about Katsuhiko. So... All Japan Pro Wrestling's ace, Kendo Miyahara, opened up about his feud, quote-unquote, with Katsuhiko Nakajima, who will go head-to-head with him in a singles match at Noah's Cork and Hall show on July 15th. For Miyahara, Nakajima is his senior who ate out of the same pot when he was a member of Kensuke Office Diamond Ring. They met for the first time in about 10 years in a six-man tag team match at Keiji Muto's retirement show in February at the Tokyo Dome, which led to this matchup. There have been rumors that the two are at odds with each other for a long time now. In particular, Miyahara expressed his disgust at a press conference in June, loudly declaring, quote, as far as this match is concerned, I have no intention of taking questions outside of this interview, end quote. We went to him directly after his dojo training on the 11th in order to get more details, but he refused, saying, quote, I won't talk about it, end quote. After persisting, he reluctantly agreed to an interview, saying, well, maybe just a little. 
before I continue, I want to point out that they note here that Miyahara expressed his disgust at a press conference in June. Um, and then they give that quote. But Kento really never has expressed his disgust. That is the gossipy nature of Tospo in full effect. So that's where you have to sort of understand the language that is being used. It is being used to create drama. That's the kayfabe of it all, right? Maeda continues, first and foremost, as for the reason Nakajima, quote unquote, isn't very good, Miyahara clearly stated, quote, because our ideas of professional wrestling are 180 degrees apart, end quote. It is said he felt this incongruity since the very beginning of his career. Quote, he was scouted because he was a karate champion. On the other hand, I was a fan of professional wrestling, so I attended tryouts open to the general public. That's why I thought we had different values when I was in Kensuke office, end quote. Miyahara dreamed of becoming a professional wrestler because of his admiration of Hulk Hogan. This is where he derives his current fighting style, quote, I aim to be cheerful, fun, and intense down to my very entrance, end quote. On Nakajima, he emphasizes that, quote, the intensity takes priority. He doesn't need to be cheerful and fun. In other words, we don't mix, end quote. Continuing on this, quote, that's why if you accept his style, you're denying yourself, he spat out. But right now, I'm at the forefront of this industry, and I'm sure I will show that to the whole world on the 15th, end quote. This will be a battle where long-held thoughts and feelings intersect. And that's why I was hinting before at this one being some of the most direct and honest things that Kento has ever said about Katsuhiko. Like, this to me was so much more fascinating than his other comments. Yeah, I loved it. And I, I know you noted that you really liked this becoming about their philosophies and uh, the what they're coming down to. I loved that, like, I'm cheerful, fun, and intense, but Nakajima is just intense. Like he, um, if you accept his style, you're denying yourself. Like you are taking one part of the full picture, but I'm the full picture. And I thought that was a really interesting way to sort of put himself over Nakajima. And, th and that was just really, really interesting. To me. Oh, absolutely. I thought that was also similarly very fascinating and again like kento was brilliant because he is so clever he never actually addresses a single rumor head-on so you don't actually get any of that here even just days before the show right like we saw before he quite literally pushes back on interviewers that ask him directly but in this he chooses to comment like you said on their wrestling philosophies and i couldn't predict that he would go this route but i loved this from him this was such an interesting thing to do because as i noted before kento has um, in this interview bent his own history here, which is why it was important at the beginning of the episode to point this out. But in his Tospo piece, he says he attended a public wrestling, or rather he attended public wrestling tryouts, implying there were multiple. But as I said before, he went to a private tryout that he arranged like all by himself. He took the train by himself. He did this whole thing. And then he wound up not passing. And that's the one that he did by himself with um, Masa Saito and Kensuke Sasaki. Then he comes back for the, the general public tryout. And that's the one that he does indeed pass. And that's how he gets into um, Kensuke office diamond ring. He used all this to demonstrate that he's such a wrestling fan that worked so hard to be in the dojo. Whereas Katsuhiko was scouted for being a karate champion because he wants you to believe there is a great difference there even though there really isn't a difference there but he wants you to believe that there's a difference here and he cites that he was a Hulk Hogan fan and how that influence plays into like his energy and his entrances and how cheerful and fun and intense he is also that he can say that it's Katsuhiko's intensity where they differ entirely it's really setting up that like classic sort of light in the dark right is what he's trying to do here but he really wants you to believe that there is a difference in 
the way that Kento is a fan of professional wrestling and he has loved this his whole life. And he went to these general tryouts to get into this dojo and he deserved it. And Katsuhiko was just a karate champion they scouted and he doesn't really love pro wrestling. That's exactly what he wants to put in your mind. And people on Twitter, Katsuhiko fans on Twitter from Japan were pissed. <laughs> Oh yeah, they were pissed. I would be too. Yeah, it's a mean thing to say, more or less. Like you, he's not a real wrestler. He doesn't care about wrestling. He's just a karate guy. Like what? (laughs) He's been wrestling for almost twenty years. It's so fascinating. Longer than he's been a karate guy. Right. It's it's so like all of that was just so fascinating. And then that whole like you said like like that's why if you accept his style. You're denying yourself. That to me was such an interesting quote because we're going to talk a little bit more about this too because there's other things we have yet to read out. But I just think this speaks so much to Kento and this historical desire to stand out and to create distance between himself and others, even from his earliest days in Diamond Ring, which would of course put him at odds with his senior in Katsuhiko. That's what I connected to. It's just fascinating to see that in this piece right before uh the big day and this is the direction that he went with he doesn't address any rumors but he's going to call attention to their specific philosophies and also um make the claim that katsuhiko just isn't a wrestling fan in the way that he is which is so interesting and not not a bad way to take it for a tospo piece i loved it i thought it was awesome yeah i thought that was really brilliant and that brings us to the day before the show july 14th we get a piece from um nakajima's perspective and this wasn't attributed to any particular writer from Tospo, but the title was Katsuhiko Nakajima reveals his quote unquote true feelings towards Kento Miyahara sending jealousy. And the quote there is, I think I was in the way. So Noah's kicking assassin Katsuhiko Nakajima revealed his true feelings towards All Japan's Kento Miyahara, who he will go head to head with at the Quark and Hall event in Tokyo on July 15th. The two are senior and junior in the Kensuke office dojo and have rumored to be feuding, with Miyahara recently saying that Nakajima, quote-unquote, isn't very good. Although they are only a year apart in age, Nakajima debuted as a wrestler in January 2004, four years earlier than Miyahara. They ate out of the same pot until Miyahara left Diamond Ring in 2013. It is said that there has been a big, quote-unquote, rift between the two for quite some time, and Miyahara has expressed his disgust. However, because their first singles match in about 10 and a half years, Nakajima said with his usual quiet tone, quote, it's going to be a battle between Katsuhiko Nakajima and Kento Miyahara as two professional wrestlers, isn't it? This match happened because of our history, but it's different from the past. Kento has been doing a wonderful job these past 10 years and has become the recognizable face of all Japan for wrestling. The past is the past, but this truly feels like a first time confrontation. About Miyahara's younger days, he said, Quote, he was a reliable junior. He had his own ideas and was passionate about what he was doing. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but when he was leaving for All Japan, I thought Kento was going to be one of the top wrestlers in the world. However, there were times when he felt some jealousy for Miyahara. Quote, Kento is a guy who wants to be the best no matter where he is, but at Kensuke office, I was the best. So I think I was in the way. I can't say for sure, but I think that's what happened, he said, analyzing his junior's innermost thoughts. Nakajima, on the other hand, had no such negative feelings. Quote, Kento was such a young guy at the time. I was a junior, but I already won a belt, so my level as an athlete was totally different than his. There was nothing wrong with him. On Miyahara stating that their ideas of wrestling were, quote, 180 degrees apart, Nakajima laughed it off, stating, quote, I wonder if that's how he really feels, and he trails off there. 
Having found his footing, Miyahara has grown into the ace of the royal road. Quote, having left it all behind, I think he cultivated enough confidence over the last 10 years to really call himself a, quote, superstar. He couldn't be number one in Kensuke office, but he could become number one in all Japan. Considering all of that, this is going to be our first match together. I'm looking forward to it. The interview ends with the battle of destiny with no time limits is finally upon us. Yeah, so uh, this one, again, like, Nakashima is very consistent here as to what he sort of says about Kento. Um, But we do get quite a lot about that. um, Once again, like the eye was in the way. And without me, he was able to sort of blossom and grow. And and that's definitely very interesting as well. And um, sort of watching him leave diamond ring to go to all japan and and you sort of get that little piece of history from that from this interview i had a lot of unhinged thoughts about this and this is where like what disappointed me is with people passing around the mtl quotes about uh particularly uh katsuhiko's interview when you do that you lose all of his tone and it's where i think like you just you don't get an accurate read on how he's speaking but there's so much, there was so much meat to this Tospo piece, and that's why I really enjoyed it. So he makes it a point to call Kento a reliable junior in this. But that, to me, is the same thing as him calling Masa his cute junior, right? It keeps both of them rooted in these identities as his juniors, which is at once insulting, but also betrays something else about the past and Katsuhiko. We know he is someone who doesn't like to talk about the past, or at least that is what he says. He's brought that up in relation to this program, but also earlier this year ahead of his match with Shingo Takagi in January at New Japan versus Noah, because to him, Shingo is someone who only talks about the past, which is why he didn't want to be in a program with him. And yet when he is referring to Masa and Kento, he can't help but place them permanently in the past with him. Is some of that because he hasn't allegedly seen Kento in a decade? Perhaps, but I don't think it's just about that. We've also seen him time and time again come undone over the idea that people don't need him. Masa, as time went on, proved that he didn't need Katsu in the same way Katsu needed him. And we've seen that play out with the aggression and their story together over time. We also saw Kento walk away from him and Diamond Ring to join in All Japan. And the way Katsuhiko talks about this is, quote, when he was leaving for All Japan, I knew Kento was going to be one of the top wrestlers in the world, which mind you, he won't say in front of Kento, he'll say it to an interviewer. And that seems like a kind comment. And maybe in part it is. But I think Katsu's Tospo comments can come across like he is taking away a lot of Kento's agency, which we hinted at before, because he very much frames Kento's issues with him as hinging on his jealousy of Katsuhiko, something that Kento has never even addressed himself. But Katsu plants the seed that because Katsu was the best in Diamond Ring and that left no room for Kento to be, he had to leave for All Japan to become the best somewhere else. So in this way, All of Kento's achievements in all Japan as an ace, they're just an extension of Katsuhiko. It's as if Katsu is saying, all your major decisions and achievements as a professional wrestler come from me and are a part of my legacy too, as your senior. In this way, they're still bound together, still rooted in the past. And in this way, Kento Masa, they still need him. Not because they want him, but because they still have yet to beat their senior in a meaningful way that matters. And this keeps them revolving around each other, even in periods of great silence and distance endlessly. But Katsu's need to root them all in the past represents this anxiety, a fear of losing two people that are connected to some greater legacy in his head. And they're the only three left from Diamond Ring. They're the only three left wrestling. 
I think when I mull it over, I wonder if he's jealous in some ways that Kento and Masa could walk away from Diamond Ring in ways that he couldn't. Kento has only been obligated to himself pretty much from birth. Masa is someone who honors Masa Saito and his legacy, but otherwise he doesn't look to anyone but himself either. Katsuhiko feels the weight of legacy in everything that he does. And the weight of legacy is like an anchor sometimes with the chain wrapped around your waist and the anchor is always dragging you down. Katsuhiko was the last to leave the defunct diamond ring and he figuratively was carrying around this dead promotion like dog tags around his neck. So he felt that weight. And I think still does in a way that the other two, at least in the kayfabe of it all, say they do not or don't want to. So does Katsu want to keep them bound to him because then no one can walk away from Diamond Ring or him, in essence? I think there is something to that. Yeah, I think that's really heavy. (laughs) You really beautifully said. And I think we're going to watch that play out during this match, aren't we? Because there's there's quite a bit of it, especially as we get to the post-match. So that really does just bring us to true midsummer july 15th dead middle of the year one night dream we get this really beautiful promo package uh really the the most interesting part to me was they bring up the slap that happened at the press conference and kento miyahara states like well that's isn't that what you guys see kensuke office as is isn't that how you think we say hello in kensuke office and nakajima replies and it's cut like they're having a conversation he's like we didn't do that in kensuke office like he says it very straightforward like we didn't do that <laughs> and and it was very it was very funny and uh miyahara's like, well they think we do that and it was very <laughs> childish the way they cut it to make it and they're not in the same room together they're not, they're cutting this like it's a conversation, but we don't know if they're actually talking to each other or if there's an interviewer there talking to them. It's really that beautiful, like it's it's very artsy of like, we're not really seeing eye to eye and we're not really talking to each other. We're talking at each other. I thought it was brilliantly done. Definitely watch that promo package. Watch this whole match because it's perfect. And so um the battle lines are drawn. The first thing I wanted to bring up is we do have Masa Kitamiya on commentary here, which I'm just going to go back really quickly to Kento Miyahara flipping out over Masa being on commentary and saying, you haven't done anything. You haven't earned anything to be on commentary. There's not a damn thing you could say. Is, is Kento bothered by this here? No. because He doesn't acknowledge right. Masa at all because Masa said, leave me alone and Kento heard him. And that's like, you have to note that here, like, like Kento does not acknowledge Masa at all. And like, that's why you can't, you can't skip Masa. You cannot skip Masa because he's so important. And like that, that whole moment between Kento and him with Kento apologizing and then Masa slamming the door on him for now, that's going to become more important later on. So if you wound up skipping that in this whole six or seven month build to this, go back and watch that. It's so critical. It's so important. It's going to continue to play out and how I think some of this stuff comes to a close in the future. But I do want to say about Masa on commentary. Later on, it's actually, I think, towards the close of the show, maybe. I can't remember when he said it, but he said that whoever keeps booking him for these things is a sadist. And that's very funny. Masa is very funny. But it's interesting to think about it in terms of the kayfabe because, like, Outside of the kayfabe, Moss is a professional. He's going to show up to whatever he gets booked for, you know, whatever. He's a professional wrestler. But in the kayfabe, who is compelling Masa Kitamiya to do anything, right? He doesn't have to do anything that he doesn't want to do. And, and not showing up to do something would be a storytelling choice too, right? Like if Masa chose not to come, that's a storytelling choice. And they could use that within the story. But he always 
shows up, even though he's not happy. He doesn't want to be there. He's calling whoever's booking him a sadist. So it's interesting because he keeps showing up, even if at times he's just sitting at the commentary desk, staring at his hands, which is, I think is one of the more, um, it's hard to watch him do that. He says he hates them both. He doesn't want to talk about the past. So why does he keep showing up to hold vigil at an endless diamond ring wake? And it's because it matters. Like even when he hates them, even when he doesn't want to talk about them or think about the past, he has to be there. He's compelled to be there because he's a part of them and they're a part of him for better or worse. And like, that is so desperately sad in its own way. It is. And it's it's incredibly important that he is here. And, and he really doesn't say much during this um, match, but I'll sort of give you Masa updates as we go through it. So yeah, the, um, the match itself, these entrances were just really incredible. We have some really great walkouts. We have Kento's electric entrance. It's, it's no surprise at this point. If you guys are surprised by the way people cheer for Kento and do those Kento chants, you're not paying attention to pro wrestling. I'm sorry. You're not paying attention because Kento is an incredible talent and he is every bit of what he says he is and that is a superstar and he makes this entrance in his beautiful gold gear he is showing off that he is a superstar the crowd just completely explodes for him yeah absolutely i mean this was an electric loud cork and for him that he is really ratcheting up like his energy was incredible he hits this at a sprint basically like poor rio is like almost taking out photographers to try to keep up with him um, and we see him walk out in his current attire and like really setting that tone that we are watching superstar Kento Miyahara, the ace of all Japan. He wants to be seen as he is today with his long list of accomplishments and successes trailing behind him. It's so important that he be viewed as he is now setting himself firmly in the present. The most important piece of his entrance really is the tone and the frenetic pace that he sets immediately because the crowd being behind Kento is going to become almost a character in and of itself in this match. Him like already like doing the walkout with his output meter like turned up to 20. He wants them to be loud. He wants them to be falling apart for him because he knows that Katsuhiko is somewhere listening um, in the backstage. Maybe he's not watching him. Maybe he can't see him monitor, but he's going to be listening. He wants that to get to Katsuhiko. So all of that plays into each other. And then we have Nakajima's entrance and we get to see his new gear, actually not even new gear, old gear that he hasn't worn in quite some time. And that's like the, the wolf gear with the fur and he has the um, black wrist tape back, which he hasn't really worn since May with Axis Revival. And he also brought back his old pose on the apron. He jumps up on the apron, he throws his arms out and that he has been doing since Kensuke Office Diamond Ring and he had stopped doing that. So there's just this very clear image that he is projecting that we haven't seen from Nakajima in quite some time. And I have to know what you made of that because I'm not really sure what to make of it. I know he's going for something and I trust the vision with it. He threw me by going with the Wolfman costume. I wasn't sure. Um, I know that costume is firmly placed in like 2018. I was trying to think of like what Kento was doing in 2018 versus what he was doing in 2018 and maybe relating it to like where they were in the industry at the time. But I wasn't able to kind of fall down that rabbit hole as, as much as I wanted to. So there might be something to thinking about it from that perspective. But I think that him doing the pose, like all of that was unmistakably. And like even just putting on a different costume, like he's not wearing his current day costume. 
putting yourself back in 2018, doing your diamond ring pose and like doing that whole thing, you are firmly placing yourself back in the past for someone who hates talking about the past, aren't you? It's so interesting and it's intentional. It's meant to set Kento in the present and Katsuhiko back in the past. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And and you can always just read it sort of on the surface. Like maybe this is just his singles costume. We're going back to 2020 where, you know, he and Shiyazaki had the, yeah, you could do that. But that pose really states like, no, this is a statement. Like he's doing this to bring it back to the past, despite how often he's like, no, this isn't really about the past. And I think there's just this incredible um, contradiction that you could really just read this anyway. And I think he's trying to inherit, because he knows, he knows. We're also in the middle of like this, not even in the middle, we're at the beginning of this new Axis era. Um, He knows that coming out in the Wolfman costume is going to get a different type of baby face reaction for him than if he were to come out in his newer costumes that are more, I think, associated with Congo, honestly. Not that I think it would have necessarily inherently changed his reactions during the match, but I think coming out... um, in that like costume that people like people love that wolfman costume people are really attached to it you love that costume which is totally valid it's a great costume but doing that like placing um himself like in the wolfman costume which is like a to me a very fan service costume at this point um that is i think inherently seeking a certain type of reaction from fans which will play into aspects of the match and also the post match later yeah, and that's that's sort of that perfect um, moment. And then you also noted that you get this really nice um, sort of moment where uh, Nakajima looks up at the rafters of Kirk and Hall and just sort of take it, taking in the atmosphere. And that was a really beautiful little scene. He was. He was looking into the rafters. Like, I think it was absolutely meaningful to him that there was a packed, sold-out Cork and Hall for the two of them. He made note of this a lot towards the um, the end of the build there, that, like, this was a match that was made possible because of their history, and they did this. So it is meaningful to him, for sure. At one point, I did think he was looking up into the balcony. It's hard to tell because of the camera angle, but was he looking into the balcony to just make sure that a certain man and his wife were not there? I don't know. I don't know. It's a good point. It's a good yeah. point. Well, the crowd that they did draw was phenomenal. Um, and the bell rings and the crowd breaks out into these dual Kento Katsuhiko chants. You can't actually tell who's winning. Like they're, the chants are just bleeding into each other. The names are just indistinguishable from each other. And the, the atmosphere is just incredible. It's It's just a magical moment. The two stare at each other for a long time before finally making contact. They go through a lockup phase, which commentary describes as a Kensuke office dojo style lockup. And, and in a way, actually writes about this again in his write up on the match in Shoe Pro afterwards. They ask Kitamiya for sort of confirmation on whether this is a Kensuke office dojo classic. And he just sort of gives this tepid, like kind of grunt in agreement, which is very Kitamiya and sets the whole tone for Kitamiya's role in commentary here. Then we go back to Kento uh, backing Katsuhiko into the ropes, which he starts to give Nakajima a clean break and then moves to grab him, only for Katsuhiko to duck out of the way with this pleased smirk. And this is very much a tone setter for the entire match, with Nakajima having an answer for everything Kento attempts. Oh yeah, you got that right out of the gate. And it's it's very different from the Tokyo Dome match where we're going into that match with the understanding that, okay, maybe it's true they haven't seen each other in 10 years, LOL, wink, wink. But you get the sense that perhaps they haven't wrestled in that long. Sure, so they have to get to know each other again. Kento 
And we'll talk about this later on in this match too, but Kento, at least in the Tokyo Dome match, he's able to get a lot of his signature spots in. He's able to get a lot of his signature moves in and get the better of Katsuhiko in several turns during that match. It's not framed that way in this match. This is a very, in a lot of ways, unusual match for Kento, especially as they build to the end. It's not a normal Kento Miyahara match. The pace is different. Um, He's not able to get off um, a lot of his signature spots and moves. Nakajima sets that pace from the very beginning, but he's also different from the beginning. Like he is like, he's smirking, he's laughing. He thinks we're joking. We're playing a game. We're in the dojo. We're just playing a game. We're just brothers. We're playing a game. But Kento, like he always says, is so serious. He takes everything so seriously. That's, that's it. That's the tone is um, that Kento is, is taking this very seriously. And Nakajima is like, haha, yeah, am I right? This is fun. This isn't fun. i did not find this fun no i i love this match um they do engage in a brief test of strength after this before nakajima now has kento on the ropes for a rope break he briefly and this goes back to like what you were saying they're playing a game he briefly teases kento like he's about to hit or grab him he sort of turns it into a feint like a big brother teasing a younger brother and then he gives kento another condescending smirk and a clean break wiping his hands together immediately afterwards. Kento gets two kicks in on Nakajima, allowing him the upper hand just long enough to get this gloating flex in. He flexes his arms, the crowd goes wild. However, you can see Nakajima right behind him gearing up before nailing Kento with a kick and then hitting the R15, which is a spinning heel kick. And we have not seen this one in forever <laughs> like forever alicia what were your thoughts on this i i was messaging you when this match was happening and our friend too was in my apartment and um i like made like an audible noise um which doesn't usually like i don't always um make like a ton of noise when i'm watching live wrestling but i did a lot in this match and like that stunned me because it's such a 2000s nakajima move it's such a junior nakajima move like he just doesn't do these types of moves anymore but it's such a move that I connect to his past wrestling it takes me back immediately to like earlier Nakajima matches that I love like it's it's something again that is so rooted in the past and he pulls it out here and it's intentional and it blew my mind it really did it was a fantastic moment it was that genius of the kick just like you said uh, about five minutes in, Nakajima then lands an apron PK to Kento, sending him to the floor. He takes Kento on what I now call a tour of the guardrail, showing him off to various parts of the crowd before reaching his actual destination, which is, of course, Masa Kitamiya. He's shoving an unwilling Kento into his face, sort of laughing. It's hard to see from the camera angles in the video, but when you look at the fan shots of this moment, there's just this really specific air of both exasperation and sadness on Masa's face. These these Masa moments, there's only two of them in this match, but um, his face journey is very important. Uh, commentary does not ask him about this moment, which I find very, very um, significant. Katsuhiko does get Kento back in the ring, delivers another PK and a cocky cover. And then he sets Kento up in the corner for the shutter chance, which Kento sort of powers out of with a quickness, delivering a forearm and a headbutt to great cheers, which I know you really like that moment. I did. He looked really fucking cool um, getting up from like sitting to push like Katsuhiko back with his forearm. So that was great. And that set up like the entire extended um, headbutt sequence with Kento to Katsuhiko as well. So yeah, love that sequence a lot. 
he gets another one over on Nakajima when he kicks Nakajima from the turnbuckle onto the floor, which was also a really great moment. He sticks out his tongue. He's playing it up with the audience. And then he heads to the floor for his own uh, floor control segment, his own tour of the barricade, if you will. And um, that was something very interesting to me is that in this very opening, you get these moments of uh, both of them have a rope break segment, which a lot of matches, I'm I'm a big rope break segment person. Um, they're, they're one of my favorite parts of matches. Um, a lot of matches, it's only one person, but in this case, they both get one. They both get a floor sequence, um, but the tone is always very wildly different. You'll notice that Kento does not even go by Masa. He does not wander by the commentary table at all during this segment. Then even when Kento's more or less in control, he's simply fighting Nakajima off in this part. And Nakajima still manages to get one over on him by reversing him into the guardrail. It's really this back and forth. And it's also important to note that during this segment, he doesn't really care about Masa at all. But you know what he cares about? is the crowd and he plays to the crowd the whole time during this segment and I think that really does become a big plot point of the match and we'll talk about that a little bit later as well mm-hmm. they get back in the ring and Kento attempts to keep control with a headbutt only to be met with forearms from Nakajima he delivers some kicks and Kento then meets him with one of the fastest low drop kicks I have ever seen Kento catches Nakajima's leg only to be met by the other leg, which is a common sequence in matches. But in this case, it really highlights how ready for everything Nakajima really is. He has an answer for everything from Kento. And it's also important to note that Nakajima is targeting the legs here. He is targeting the legs. And I think it's because you can only appreciate this. I think if you go and watch the Tokyo Dome match and then you go and you watch this match to see how different these matches are because Kento can't actually get into his rhythm. He can't get into his signatures. It's very, very, very hard for him to do anything like that. But Katsuhiko is smart. He knows that if he can shut down Kento's explosive quickness, which is kind of remarkable, I I don't really understand how Kento moves so quickly for being such a big man. But if he can shut down Kento's explosive quickness, which is also going to shut down Kento's ability to use the blackout knee, um, then Kento can't really get into any of his signature sequences because wearing people down with the blackout knee is a strategy of Kento's. And that's how he gets you like very worn down so he can get you back into the shutdown suplex. So there is a strategy to this, and it just results in us never seeing Kento get into a point where he can actually use a blackout knee effectively or really get one totally off. Um, And he's not able to use his explosive quickness, and therefore he's not able to wear Katsuhiko down enough. This is not a normal Kento match. It doesn't go by Kento's playbook at all because Katsu, as the senior, is now running a training exercise with his junior it gets very hard to watch that is for sure but it's it's an incredible match in that way it's really brilliant and there's just more to enjoy with every rewatch um, we've quickly come to learn about 14 minutes into this match Nakajima properly lands the shutter chance taunt forcing Kento into it for two corners but that faces all four sides of the audience um, getting everyone to get their shots in Nakajima lets Kento fight back into the center of the ring. And that's important that he's sort of letting him because he is taunting him all the while before Nakajima hits him with a dragon screw and then sits him down, which leads us to the prison lock sequence. Nakajima locks Kento into the prison lock. 
the camera cuts briefly to Masa's very interested, like eyebrow raised. I, I call it a face journey because it really is. If you pause every <laughs> screen, you can see his face sort of go like, oh, oh, oh. And then he sort of realizes and then it cuts back into the ring where both men are screaming at each other. Uh, Alicia, you caught the call back here, which is very, very significant. And that goes back to Kensuke versus Nakajima from um, February 11th, Kensuke Office Day, uh, 2014. Yeah, so this sequence really blew my mind. It made me really emotional watching it live. And then it made me emotional to go back and watch the same sequence in the 2014 match. Um, it's it's such a callback to that match. It's obviously a callback to just Masa Saito. Of course, like, you know, Masa is going to sit up on commentary because he's like, well, well what are they doing? Um, and he trained all of them. So like, it's just a very weird thing that connects them all in that moment. But the sequence is like, at times it is almost shot for shot what happened in the 2007 match with Katsuhiko and Kensuke Sasaki. And we, we talked about this in our Diamond Ring episode. Hokuto called it a Kensuke office match. Like this was like the heart of Kensuke office, this type of match. And Katsuhiko said after that match, um, he talked about wanting to use that match as the jumping point to closing the distance between him and Kensuke little by little in one day, surpassing him. So to see how much the camera angles matched up and to see them both screaming at each other, the way that Katsuhiko in 2007 was screaming in Kensuke Sasaki's face, whether he was on the bottom or when he reversed it and then he was on the top, it is meant to, like, this is intentional. It is meant to mirror that moment because Kento is the junior still. And now Katsuhiko is like the senior because Kensuke Sasaki is not there. He's gone, you know, for all, for all intents and purposes, he's gone. It's just the two of them. Now Katsuhiko is in that role as the senior, the guy. He's still the one representing Diamond Ring for them. And Kento is still struggling against the senior who he has to one day, try to to surpass and, and close the distance between them little by little. And it's meant to be the same thing. It's meant to emulate the same moment and the same feeling. Although it feels so much worse. It's so hard. It's so hard. But that's what it's meant to be. So yeah, just to me, it's one of the more emotional, almost breathtaking parts of the match because they went there with it. One thing you said to me um, when we were talking about this sequence is... Um... Actually, I want you to read it. (laughs) I love when you take notes on things I tell you and then have me read them. It's fun. Because it's better when you say it. (laughs) So what I said to you when we were talking about this, I think a few days ago, was the prison lock is the physical manifestation of their inability to communicate or see eye to eye. Yeah, and and I think that's exactly it, is that um, Kensuke was the senior to Nakajima and he meant so much to him. And... um, moments like this matches like this and Nakajima said this before he can feel Kensuke's love for him in the those moments in those matches and he's he's giving that to Kento now and and he's giving him that love and maybe someday hopefully someday we'll see Kento reverse that prison lock and have his own moment where he's on top and he's in control because that's really what that that 2014 match was about and um but that that's not the way that Kento sees it and that's not what happens in this sequence, not right now, because they don't see eye to eye, even though they're face to face in this prison lock. And, and that's one thing that makes the prison lock probably one of the coolest moves in wrestling, because like some people complain about it not looking like harsh enough or, you know, tough enough or whatever you are. But think about that's it. That's because those from- people don't know what actual holds feel like, but whatever. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's that. Um, but you know, you, you think about it from this perspective of now you're getting these two men sitting face to face with each other and they're, you know, one's in pain and the other is screaming, like what's, what's going to happen. And the way that people react in that lock, like Masa and Sugira always start headbutting each other, which is disgusting. But you know, it's it's always something really compelling happens when that prison lock happens. And in this case, it's one of the most emotionally devastating things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And and it was incredible. And I think um, that physical manifestation of their inability to communicate or see eye to eye, the way you said that, was just perfect. Perfectly said. So Kento makes it onto the floor. He scouts Katsuhiko's apron uh, PK and absorbs it and then pops up onto the apron um, and eventually overpowers him. But I, I really like that moment. I know you really like that moment, Alicia. Oh yeah, I love the pile driver on the apron. I mean, I thought like that he that he scouted the PK was great. They learned from the first one he took and then that he took it to the apron and fought for the pile driver and got it. I mean, the pile driver on the apron always reminds me of him and Jake. So I was just really happy with that sequence in general. Yeah, that, that was really cute. And it was fun. And it briefly changes the tone of this match where Kento has a um, short comeback moment only for Katsuhiko to respond with a German suplex. They do exchange moves rapidly in an equal measure, ending on... Kento pulling out the Kensuke Sasaki lariat, which is, of course, a massive, massive moment. It's a remarkable moment, obviously. Whenever he chooses to use the lariat is a big moment. I thought he would use one here, of course, and it looked great here. Um, The timing of it was fantastic. There's so much to say about Kento using the lariat, but Katsuhiko not using the lariat or the diamond bomb. He doesn't use anything like that. He uses something like the um, the jumping spin kick, right? Like he uses something from their past, but it's not something with the emotional weight, I would say, that would be the lariat or using the diamond bomb. And you had some great thoughts about this that made me um, also intensely sad to contemplate that it's perhaps linked to the idea that he doesn't consider he doesn't consider Kendo a worthy opponent still to use those things in the way that he's used them for Marafuji or for Keno. And that's very difficult to consider, actually, but it's something to consider. A lot of the questions in this match aren't the moves that were done, but a lot of the moves that weren't done. And and that's it. The Lariat, you don't see from Nakajima. Um, he's done the Northern Lights Bomb, Akira Hokuto's move. He did that against Shiyazaki. And then, of course, you have the Diamond Bomb, which he has only used against Keno and Marafuji. And the Lariats we have only seen once and in his entire career, and that is against Keno. So, um, and we, we have some extended thoughts on that as well in our episode on Nakajima and Keno's match together. But yeah, that that's what... These, those moves are a statement and by not saying them, it's almost just like saying no comment to someone when you, when you ask them what they think of you. And, and it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to watch. And we don't really know if this was about like, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later too. Um, when we get to the finish, we don't know if that was a statement of you are not worthy of them or if he just didn't get around to them. I do have my own opinions on that. And I will talk about that a little bit when we get to the finish. Mm-hmm. Sure. So both men struggle to their feet. Kento staring daggers into Nakajima and Nakajima with that signature wolfish grin. However, that smile drops 
when Nakajima delivers a smashing elbow to Kento. And the two deliver forearms back and forth to each other with blistering intensity. This then becomes a kick exchange at exactly the 25-minute marker. Katsuhiko starts shouting at Kento to give him more and more here, despite Kento's exhaustion and being rocked from Katsuhiko's kicks. This loudly and deliberately looks like a dojo senior, a dojo captain, encouraging his junior. This is just a really emotionally tense moment, Kento refusing to give in while playing into this exact role of the determined junior, that role that Katsuhiko wants him in, the, the role that he's putting him in. In fact, the connection I made was actually Katsuhiko um, shouting at Kenya Okada during their singles match earlier in the year. He gives that exact same shout where you can see the trainer, the dojo captain, the, you can see that version of Katsuhiko against his, his junior at the time, Kenya Okada. You can see that again, staring down Kento Miyahara. And that's an incredibly emotional moment. It is, you know, like I said, like this match is so interesting because Katsuhiko deliberately makes it a training exercise against his junior. There is no one else in the world that can make Kento Miyahara look like that. And that's why I think it's it's so stunning and why I, and why I can't let it go yet and why I've continued to rewatch it since the day because I can't believe that someone made and it's and it's not it's not like Kento Miyahara looks bad. He doesn't look bad, but Katsuhiko deliberately makes this match a training exercise against his junior and Kento can't help but be stuck in this ring in a training exercise with his senior. It's fascinating and it's sad and there's this beautiful artwork from a Japanese fan that I keep thinking about as well that is a stair a stairway that is just connected to um, itself and they're both sitting on opposite sides of the stairway um Katsuhiko is on the lower side and Kento's on the higher side but the stairway it doesn't go up or down it just connects into each other and and it's it's fascinating it's on my it's my I retweeted it so you can look at my Twitter and find it but that's all that illustration is very much what this match felt like and it was so interesting to see that art days before manifest itself almost in the match that we saw it's just very interesting and almost very eerie. It is, and it's extremely emotional, and it does not stop here <laughs> because the emotions only ramp up at the end of the exchange with Nakajima sitting Kento down for these extraordinarily intense elbow strikes that we have seen in Nakajima's matches before. However, while not lacking in intensity, these differ from when we have seen Nakajima use them against, say, Jake Lee or Go Shiyazaki and... Alicia, you had some really good thoughts on that if you want to go ahead and elaborate there. Yeah, so these were fascinating because when I saw him um, go for, he kind of goes for full mount, but like almost sits up with like um, one leg up. So it's like, it's like full mount, but like an adjusted full mount for Katsuhiko. So I knew what he was going for. I knew he was going to start using the forearms. And they're very intense because he's dragging Kento up by his hair, almost pulling him up to full sitting before he brings him back down with a crushing forearm. And then he... He hits Kento enough that even like with one final horrible forearm, Kento's whole body turns away from him and he's got to pull him back over, which was like just so sad to look at. But the thing is like about Katsuhiko, as we've demonstrated in other episodes, where he has lost matches in this exchange, 
um, when he's raining forearms down on someone. He loses when he's out of control. He's not um, out of control in the sequence at all. He's actually very in control. He knows exactly when to pull himself off because he has an idea in his mind of how he's going to win this match. He's not going to win off the ref um, calling for like a TKO or anything. He's very much in control the entire time. So in this way, he's actually more dangerous because he's very much in control of this segment and he knows exactly when to pull himself off. The way that he's able to stop himself so clean and move off of Kento to go right into the next thing, it's almost jarring because in other times we've seen him use the forearms, he has to be stopped. It goes on like almost like way too long because he's like, he's too emotional about it almost. Not here though. He's he's actually almost too in control and that's where you know that he's actually even more scary than when he's not yeah yeah that's a really that's exactly it that's a really really good point is that like it's it's scary because he knows exactly what he's doing and and actually one thing you had said to me at this moment was he knows exactly how he wants to end this match and that's it's kind of terrifying to think of it that way um and how intense um Nakajima can really really be and and it's a beautiful character moment it's just a very hard one to watch Tatsuko traps Kento between blistering kicks Kento ducks out and counters with a drop kick a bewildered expression on his face Kento attempts to capitalize, but Katsuhiko sends him into the turnbuckle and takes over once again. He teases the vertical spike for the first time, which again goes back to what I just said that you mentioned, Alicia, is that he knows exactly how he wants to finish this match now. Um, However, Kento reverses into a backdrop. Kento, with real momentum, hits Nakajima with a knee at 30 minutes and then follows up with another lariat. He attempts the shutdown suplex. Nakajima fights out with a kick, but Kento ducks out and hits Nakajima with a short range blackout knee, which goes back to what you were saying. He never hits the actual blackout knee. He hits another knee, makes the cover, fails, and then follows up with a German suplex only for Nakajima to kick out at 2.99. And Alicia, I do believe at this point you messaged me to tell me that you needed Kento to win this match. It, it Like your message exactly was, I need him to win actually. <laughs> and I think that summed up exactly the impact of this. And, and people who are kind of boring on Twitter will call this a hope spot. And that's that's really what it was though. And it's probably the first hope spot where I really felt it in my soul to the point where I started sobbing because I needed him to win. I went into this match much like Masakita Mia. Like, I don't care. Either is fine. But now I'm watching this match and Kento Mihara needs to win. He needs to win. You can feel it. You can feel it in the crowd. The crowd, yeah, Nakajima still has fans. Nobody's going to not cheer for him. This is an amazing match. But the momentum has shifted. And you can tell. Kento locks Nakajima in for the shutdown suplex. And this is the one time in the match you can really see Nakajima just scream. And there's just this fear in his eyes. He feels like he is in trouble. However, he manages to wiggle out of the hole to get to the rope. I do wonder, though, if he were able to land that shutdown suplex, do you think that Nakajima would have been one of the few who could kick out of it? Yeah, I think, like, I'm assuming that when we run this back, I don't think that Katsuhiko, I think he'll kick out of one. 
because of who Katsuhiko is to Kendo and the seniority at play and um perhaps some light politics I can I can see them but I don't even I'm not even mad when I say that because this is the only place where and we can talk about this later or maybe on a different podcast this is the only time where Katsuhiko has been like deservedly treated like a big fucking deal in Noah in a way that satisfies me <laughs> so if the if the politics trade-off here is that he kicks out of a shutdown suplex once and then has to eat one so that Kento gets a win I can live with that I can sleep well at night with that so my assumption is that yes he will he will join the short list of people who have kicked out of the shutdown suplex eventually yeah I I feel the same I think he probably like in a theoretical world in this match he would have but in a future match I could see it too and and hopefully leading to Kento getting that pin because like I just said we need it uh Kento does quickly follow up with a knee which Nakajima catches Kento lands a headbutt and swipes for a palm strike Nakajima dodges and then hits his own palm strike also called the tensioner which is sends Kento down to the floor devastatingly it's 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 so awful to watch like he's so good at just like collapse well he Kento is very good at suffering but he's very good at um at collapsing at that uh at that slap. It's just it's just devastating, especially like when you're watching it live and you're like eating your fingers. Yeah. They do uh ask Kitamiya what he makes of this, and they wait for a beat in silence, and then they say that Kitamiya is not answering. <laughs> so it's rough. It's 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 hard. And um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned like how amazing. Kento selling really is here like he goes completely boneless and and you sort of um brought up how incredible he was at at doing these theatrics and this selling and, and you can really just feel his suffering Nakajima lands a running kick to Kento and then makes the cover with force and Kento kicks out Nakajima looks angry here taking a moment to really steal himself before picking Kento up again he then grabs Miyahara's head with both of his hands and shouts Kento to his face and then lifts him up for a vertical spike. He lands it, makes the cover, and ends the match at 34 minutes and 12 seconds. So this is this is the vertical spike. It's not the diamond bomb. It's not the northern lights bomb. It's 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 his normal finisher. And um, and yeah, that's that's hard isn't it? Um, Keno has described those, those older moves, the, um, you know, those Kensuke office staples, those, those callbacks as being his trump cards. And um, he said that in a 2022 shoe pro column, I I talk about it pretty frequently, actually, it's my favorite shoe pro column of his. (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah, and he doesn't move, he doesn't do them here. And that goes back to the question we brought up earlier, does he not do them because they didn't go long enough? Or is it because he still doesn't see Kento as a true opponent? Um, I actually, I posted this on Twitter because the thought sort of occurred to me of how this is framed as a conversation. We go back to his 45-minute draw with Kento. Um, on, we talk about this in our episode, Shinjuku Face on a Wednesday, and um, how that conversation, Nakajima states, isn't long enough to talk about everything they wanted to talk about, like that conversation sort of framing. However, his conversation with Kento, we get that that hope spot and the conversation starts to turn around and it goes a place that 
Nakashima doesn't like. <laughs> he doesn't like where this conversation is, is heading. So he hangs up the phone and he uses that vertical spike to shut it down. And um, and that's how he wants to end the match. He wants to end it on his, his finisher. He doesn't want to use his super finisher on Kento Miyahara. And I think that's what we're looking at here. It's not that he doesn't see Kento as a true opponent. It's that he, he can't lose this. He can't lose being a senior to Kento, his junior. And he, and he can't give him that super finisher because that's that's scary. That's losing him and losing a piece of Kensuke office in the process. Yeah, I think that is so well said. And, and I think highlights also what I was getting at with the Tospo piece of Katsuhiko. Like all of this is about finding ways to extend their relationship, even though there's distance, even though they hardly speak, allegedly. Um, all of it is to extend this out so that he doesn't lose Kento so that Kento always needs him so that Diamond Ring doesn't ever actually have to end because they're all still revolving around each other Masa and him haven't had a real conversation or like a real match in ages but why does he have to drag Kento over to commentary and show Kento off to him because he's keeping him rooted to him too like that's all this is about this is all this is about because he knows that Kento will also be thinking he didn't use the lariat on me. He didn't use his super finisher on me because Kento will, of course, think about these things. Kento being a huge fan of professional wrestling, those things will eat at Kento and Kento will want to find a way back in front of him because he has to be Katsuhiko one day. He has to beat him in a meaningful way. Um, he has to be acknowledged in the way that he has been desperate to be acknowledged by Katsuhiko since they were in the dojo together, right? And he, he's not getting this here. Um, at least not in the way that he wants to, not in the way that he would perhaps deserve to. Um, so yeah, all of this is, is rooted in, um, for Nakajima, fear of of losing them and losing something in, in Diamond Ring. Diamond Ring's already dead. It's already gone. But if he if he loses the match, if he pulls out his super finishers, he's not a wall anymore to them. He betrays something about himself and then this is all over for them and he doesn't want it to end. And there is no moment that shows that more than that ending sequence with the ice pack and helping Kento up. Um, after the match, Nakajima approaches Kento, um, who's lying on his back, and throws out the ice pack that Ryu Inoue had placed on his neck. He then begins to pick Kento up to his feet, and this mirrors the almost exact same scene from his title defense for the GHC against Masakita Mia on January 16th, 2022, where he threw out Kitamiya's ice pack, began to help him to his feet, only to throw the man out of the ring. We talk about this moment um, in our episode on the aggression, actually. So, however, this time, Nakajima pauses as if to consider doing that and, and throwing Kento out, but then he starts to help him out, I guess, in earnest. There's, I guess you could read this different ways, but I think you and I both read this as it being in earnest, right? Did you read it initially as he was going to throw him out? Because I never did. I did it first, but then watching it a second time, I, I really, I saw it the way you saw it. And I think that's exactly what it was. The way that I saw it was something perhaps more genuine because he not only tries to get Kento up, but he tries to get Kento's arm around him, mm -hmm. which is a different type of connection. So I didn't think that he was going to actually try to like hurt him or throw him out. So I think that like that could be very genuine. Like I, I 
the thing about Katsu is that like I don't actually think he hates Kento. I I really don't think he has ever hated Kento. In that way, I do believe him. Do I think that he's being honest about all of his feelings when he sits in front of a you know a reporter and they're asking him little questions and he's sort of laughing and doing his little thing? Um, no. But do I think that he's ever hated Kento even in the kayfabe? No. I also do believe him when he says Kento is the best wrestler today. But that is because he needs Kento to be. Because again, Kento is an extension of him and their legacies are tied together because they're the only there there's three of them there's three of them left from diamond ring so therefore their legacies are tied together and again kensuke's not there anymore um and even if they reject him they are still tied together and like this is still a thing for him um and like you said it's like this is exactly like katsu's match with masa katsu i think would love it if his juniors just complied with him and what he wanted for them right as like a good senior with his his good little juniors like he would just love that but he's also so quick to punish them when they don't comply with what he wants for them right so kento pushes him away doesn't want the help and katsu immediately turns and just starts to attack him and has to attack him like to the point where he's like throwing him out of the ring and like really positioning himself as like you know being like on on top and kento is beneath him and that's why there can be no healing after that match right because yeah. healing would be kento pushing katsu away and katsu just letting him walk off and it's it would be the same thing with masa but if he lets him again like we've, we've been talking about this but if he lets him walk off without attacking him he would be letting him go in a figurative sense and katsu cannot let him or masa go just like kento and masa will not be able to let katsu go until they defeat him definitively there was no cage in that match on july 15th but there was a figurative one there absolutely was a figurative one they are all trapped in a cage together until they they find a way to heal and and that's perfectly said i i think that was you said that and i was absolutely breathless and and it really does call back there are so many different like comparisons and and ways you can contrast this to um cage war 2021 on june 26th and and it's it's incredible you you think about it they're one night dream they're in this crowded um overcrowded hurricane hall whereas where are they in cage war they're in an empty room and um i think there's there's a lot of metaphors you can be drawn here is that this is to kento this is all about you know that crowd reaction this is about hurricane hall in february um back you know when when kensuke office would run it every year and he's watching Nakajima and, and we'll talk about that as well and and that crowd reaction he gets and and now that crowd in a lot of ways is this this tool that Kento is now using to make his own where you look at cage war and you know who who suggested this cage match that was Masa that was Masa's idea he wanted that cage because that cage embodied what diamond ring was for him and he uses that cage to give him strength and support to eventually overcome Nakajima and that's exactly what this is it's them using their memories to try to propel them forward and and you're right there was no cage but it was there and they are they are trapped together and and they can't get out and and that moment where they're lifting him up and and then kento pushes him away and nakajima punishes him for it it just keeps it going and the cycle just keeps going over and over again there's a lot of 
opposites that Cage War and One Night Dream have to each other. But the one thing they have in common is that it is about Nakajima not being able to let them go and not being able to let them surpass him. And he has to be that senior. And, and the way I described it was when he lifts Kento Miyahara up, he is looking at those dog tags of diamond ring of the dead diamond ring and and that's not what kento wants to look like to him so incredibly well said but also so incredibly painful and that brings us to um the post-match where then they have this moment they're staring at each other uh kento's sitting on the apron and then he starts to leave and nakashima shouts out to him and calls him um like one of the best wrestlers in the world. He says, you're a stupendous wrestler. You're amazing. And then he immediately says, but I won't give you room up on the top. Like he phrases is that I won't give up, but the terminology he uses is I won't give you room, which goes back to what we were saying. That's such claustrophobic language. And, and it goes back to that feeling of, of a cage. So then we get into the back stages and Kento was first he was sitting on the ground in the back talking to everybody and he said it's been a long time or rather it's been 10 years i finally felt nakajima's skin ah yeah and i lost one two three i can't make any excuses now i owe a debt to the very last human being i want to owe a debt to the last person on earth that i want to owe well i don't know if this is one night dream or take the dream does it end today or will there be a next time that's all up to the wrestling fans Last but not least, I really didn't want to owe him anything, but I took out that loan today. Whether or not there will be a next time is up to the wrestling fans, but I'll always be ready to pay that loan back, Katsuhiko Nakajima. And then on Kendo's um, Twitter and Instagram, Kana actually sent this over after, which I thought was really lovely. Um, He says more or less the same thing, but I just thought it was relevant to read. He says, I lost against Katsuko Nakajima. I have no excuse. I guess now I owe it to a guy I don't want to owe anything to. Will there be a next with Katsuko Nakajima or not? We never know. It's Perez. You never know what's going to happen, but I'm a superstar, so the fans are still waiting for me tomorrow. Thank you for your best support today. So some very Kento sentiments in there. I think one of the more important things he says... um, is he talks about owing a debt to the very last human being he wants to owe a debt to. Like this is something again, like in the loss, he can he won't be able to recover from a loss like this until he finally defeats Katsuhiko. And it's hard in a lot of ways to hear him talk like this because who else does he talk about like this? Literally no one. Like he has intentionally de- designed himself to appear peerless, um, except when it comes to Katsuhiko Nakajima. So it's hard in some ways to to see him say that, um, especially to sit on the floor of Corican and say that. But again, just like another like sort of incredible um, backstage here. And he does actually, we didn't notice this until afterwards, um, but he makes the, the distinction that one night dream is sort of meant to be a play on take the dream, take the dream being like an old Kensuke office name for some of their events, which um, me and Rachel did not pick up on because they don't feel related at all. But I appreciate them trying to go there with that. Yeah, we originally thought like, it was just a name. We thought the whole show would be like a Dragon Gate crossover show. Like there was no hint here that it would have been this connection, but good on good on Kento for pointing it out. Yeah. So next we have Katsuhiko who said, I had a singles match with Kento for the first time in 10 years and it brought back a lot of feelings, but 
but I'm not giving up so easily. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I understand now why Kento Miyahara is called the best in all Japan. I spoke to Kento Miyahara, this man who was unknown to me for the first time in 10 years, and I thought he was amazing. One night dream. As the title suggests, it may be just for tonight, or it may happen again. Wrestling is fun because you never know what's going to happen. I, along with all the fans who witnessed it, look forward to those unpredictable moments. And then a reporter said, the result was the same as 10 years ago, but could you feel the difference between yourself and Miyahara? Was it the same or different? And he said, between 10 years ago and now, it's totally different. As I said before the match, this was truly the Kento Miyahara I don't know. That's the truth. Just, I just can't give up yet. Not yet. And that's so fascinating to read from him because he won. What does he think he's giving up? Exactly. And and you and I, we, we've discussed that answer, but... Uh... What would he be giving up? And that's that's Kensuke office. And he can't that's do them that. and it's Kensuke office. Yeah. yeah. Rough. From his Twitter post as well. Um, nothing too extraordinarily different, but he did say the first conversation with Kento in 10 years. I'll say one thing. The Kento Miyahara, I don't know, has become the best, but I can't give in. Is there a next time? Or maybe not. I don't know. But as long as I'm here wrestling, anything can happen. To all the fans who spent time with us tonight, thank you. And that's how he ends that. And then Shoe Pro released the cover of the July 19th issue at noon on July 18th. The cover is of Nakajima making the pin on Kento. And we were kind of blown away by Katsu's tweet about it. So we're going to read that out here too. He QRT'd Shoe Pro's post and said, my history with Kento led to this cover again somewhere. And that really goes back to what what he was saying about like oh well our history led to this match but you know it's it's just a match and and I can be grateful to my history but this match is you know really kind of a first time matchup between the two of us like no big deal our past is in the past but you can also read that as my history with Kento led to this cover which he's pinning <laughs> not he's he, it, the cover is him pinning Miyahara so you you are now seeing it as like my history led to me dominating my junior and so there's there's a lot there and it can be both things at the same time and I'm pretty sure it is both things at the same time and it's just a really interesting play on words and and it's just a lot to um lot to bite into but I think there's a lot of truth in in the last two words and that's again somewhere that um, there's there's no way this is truly a one-night dream. I think the dream has become something more than that. Yeah, it's hard to say when we'll see this again. I think in some ways it's almost better if we don't see it for a little bit and we let it marinate. We see what happens. We see how Masa uh, plays a role in things as well. But there is, is almost no way after the success of this event and how much this kind of set the industry like ablaze. This event, I think... Um, even outdid like New Japan's first day of like the G1. Like um, there's a lot that, you know, Katsuhiko and Kento achieved in digging up their history for all of us, right? And Masa as well. So this will happen again. It's just a matter of, I think, when and where. So for our afterward, we're going to conclude with some thoughts from, again, that ex-Kensuke office correspondent reporter, Matsukawa, who spoke with Takashi Okida, who was a Kensuke office wrestler um for those of you that might not remember his name if you google okita you'll see his face you'll remember him immediately now kana noted that matsukawa and okita's beyond the forbidden reunion report isn't particularly well written so translating it was more difficult 
than the interview um, portions at the beginning of the article. It appears that Matsukawa spoke with Okita, so some parts are Okita's thoughts, memories, and recollections, and others are Matsukawa's thoughts and narration and also his recollections of really being around and like talking to them when Diamond Ring was still around. This was also written after the Tokyo Dome match. So we're going back into February, but I wanted to save this for the end of the episode because there's a lot of narration in this from Matsukawa that feels particularly relevant now that we've gotten through One Night Dream. This time, Mudo's retirement match is the reason for the two to cross paths. They have been in the same space at the same time before for events such as Antonio Inoki's 49th Day Memorial and Perez Awards, but that was about it until now. Even in this very intertwined industry and a very social era on the map, it was as though there was an invisible wall between Nakajima and Miyahara. There was no opportunities for either to speak the other's name, and I assumed that it would stay that way. Then in quotes, it says, the feud between Nakajima and Miyahara, one hates the other, right? And then Matsukawa continues, ever since this reunion has been announced, we hear those phrases often. Those who know that I used to be the Kensuke office reporter approach me and ask, so how was it really? Nakajima's comments of, am I hated by Kento in Noah's promo speech may have added fuel to the disagreement theory. Did Miyahara hate Nakajima? I don't think I ever recall either of them using the word hate as such. And now these are recollections from Okida. Thinking back now, Kento and I may have had different feelings towards Nakajima-san. To me, he was the superstar athlete way above the clouds. But for Kento, he might have been someone he had to face one day. Nakajima-san, who can make a crowd go wild in a full house. I was astonished in the second seat. Kento bit his lower lip in the second seat. That's the impression I remember. So Okida really drawing attention to himself, just kind of being in awe of Nakajima and watching him perform when he was his second in Kensuke office. But Kento biting his lip being uh, Katsuhiko's second. And that implies that uh, Kento might have been jealous of Katsuhiko uh, during that time when he was his second. Incredible image. Super. Just incredible Just image. unbelievable. So Matsukawa continues, Kensuke office was in an environment so extreme that it was sometimes described as outdated. Even Okida looks back and says, quote, I heard a rumor that it's the toughest in the Perez industry. That's why I knocked on the gate. But it was even tougher than I ever imagined, end quote. And then he kind of laughs a little bitterly. Matsukawa says, not only in terms of training, but also in private life, the power structures were smashed into them. I have seen these aspects firsthand in many situations, including the office dojo and match venues. I am not disparaging their ways. Rather, it was because of their harsh ways that Nakajima and Miyahara became strong. I believe that the Kensuke office days were definitely at the root of these two talented people who wound up with the most prestigious titles of this industry multiple times. Those two men, on the other hand, were polar opposites outside the ring. Nakajima embraced the traditions of the family era and held the position of the quote-unquote oldest son within the Kensuke family. In contrast, Miyahara always maintained his individuality. Even within the close-knit atmosphere of Kensuke office, where a family-like atmosphere prevailed, he never took a role of one of the family. Instead, he managed to navigate his relationships with others by skillfully maintaining the perfect distance. Not too close, yet not too far, even from Nakajima. Matsukawa asks Okida, what was the relationship between Nakajima and Miyahara like back in those days? Okida says, I'm trying to recollect what it was like back then, but I can't recall a single scene where the two of them interacted. They are constantly in the same dojo, sweating together and lived in the same room and eating out of the same pot, yet I have never seen them chatting or having a laugh together, perhaps. With Kensuke's retirement, Nakajima and Masakitamiya 
went to NOAA, and Miyahara moved to all Japan. Oldest son Nakajima kept in touch with Kensuke and Hokuto even after Kensuke office closed, and they have been seen on TV, together along with another new family member, Rin Katakura. In contrast, Miyahara never brought out his Kensuke office color after leaving. In fact, by erasing that color, he completely rebranded Kento Miyahara as he joined All Japan. He made up a new, original color of the bestest man, and has grown to become a leading figure in All Japan. I'm still unsure if there is a feud between Nakajima and Miyahara. However, it is a fact they have not crossed paths in about 10 years. There's definitely a growing sense of anticipation for a drama that couldn't be built on a shallow relationship. This is Okita speaking now. Quote, in the decade where they never faced each other, Kento would have diligently watched all of Nakajima-san's fight videos. He should have a deep understanding of Nakajima-san's moves and would have envisioned his own development accordingly. That's how much he loves wrestling and what an ambitious person he is. But nevertheless, I hope Nakajima-san will kick Kento's ass. And then Masakawa says, Okita-san, who had watched Nakajima and Miyahara more closely than anyone else, revealed to me his complex feelings and added, quote, Yo, Kento, if you wish, I may come out to be your second, only on request. Such a tremendous piece, such an incredible interview and write-up from Matsukawa and Okita. And it really just hits home a lot of what we were saying, a lot of that you know, jealousy and that importance of the crowd as well. And then it talks about um, how important Kensuke office was as a family to Nakajima and why perhaps he just can't let that go. And then you get uh, Miyahara needing that distance and needing to be an individual, which we talk about in this episode, but also in um, the excellent Next Dream 1.0 episode, part one, is just really, really good. And there's just, it's really heavy. There's a lot here, but I think that this really sums up a lot of what we see during that one night dream match and, and perhaps what we will see in the future as this drama continues to unfold because it's clear it's not done here. And I want to point out too the fascinating nature of someone like a correspondent for a promotion that's talking in like a magazine right like there's so much of this that sort of folds in on each other because you can't reveal too much right you can't reveal Mm -hmm. like you can't go too outside of the kayfabe and what is demonstrated by the promotion and there's a lot of what Matsukawa talks about in this where no one's really sure that like they ever had a laugh or a moment together and yet Um, You can still find the old photos that came off of the Abema blogs that people had at the time. Like one of my favorite ones that I still like have a, have a copy of whatever um, is Katsuhiko. um, And this came off of Katsu's old blog, which I'm not even sure still exists, but it's him. And it might even be Okida um, finding Kento in the dojo to give him his birthday present and Kento smiling because they're handing him his, his present in a bag. And there's other like little like stories and moments where it's like, you know, it's almost very uninteresting to kind of go in circles about like, again, like rumors and like whatever and what have you, like we can all talk about all this to death, but there was undoubtedly these moments where like they did get along and they they were, um, you know, doing things like, you know, finding Kento in the dojo to give him his birthday present. So all of that is sort of interesting because again, you're led to believe that they have not talked in 10 years. I think there's enough anecdotal in, you know evidence on places like Instagram that would demonstrate that that's probably not true but that's just my theory in it but that's kind of where I think articles like this also leave you you are meant to take whatever you want 
from this story. You can think they all hate each other and it's all been terrible for the past 10 years. Or you can think other things based off of what is presented to you from the role the wrestling media plays, the role the fans have played in stirring up a lot of this stuff, and then the very interesting comments you get from all the different players that are involved. So Kendo, uh, Katsu, and then Masa. So I find that piece of it, the wrestling media piece of it interesting and there's something that Matsukawa says in here that I think just like hammers his point home for me he says there's definitely a growing sense of anticipation for a drama that couldn't be built on a shallow relationship and again like everyone's trying to paint the picture that they haven't seen each other in 10 years they never shared a laugh together they shared a bedroom together but apparently never spoke but there's a growing sense of anticipation for a drama that couldn't be built on a shallow meaning a meaningless, a, you know, a relationship that didn't matter, that had no substance to it. So I find things like that very interesting because it almost like dips back and forth this article on like what this relationship actually was and meant to them. Yeah, I think that's, that's perfectly said is that no matter what, in the end, it meant something. And it's now playing out in the ring and, and we are feeling it as fans. And as you were talking, I couldn't help but remember Masakitamiya's words. I hope the fans have and media have fun with their illusions of what happened. And and it, it is, it's leaving us to it. And it's leaving us to think about what happens and what has happened. And, and it's leaving us to fill in the space. And it comes down to the amount of work like what what are you willing to look at what are you willing to absorb and interviews like this really help us um fill in that space and and then of course there's you know all this social media and stuff so um we're really really happy we got to present our findings to you guys and we hope that you learned a lot from it because we learned a lot and we really really took so much from this story um and and this match and we're really excited to see it continue alicia do you do you have thoughts because i know on twitter people are talking like oh well maybe this will lead to a world tag challenge with axis versus kento and yuma aoyagi and i don't want that i don't care and i mean i do i it would be a tremendous match but i i want I'm on your side where I want this to stew. I want, I want time. And, um, and I think that's the more impactful thing, but I was interested on what your thoughts were. Where do you think this is heading? I wouldn't say no to that type of tag match. I just don't know. It just doesn't excite me at this point. I wanted to use it to get them back in front of each other when I didn't think we were getting one night dream. Now that we've seen One Night Dream and we've seen what they can accomplish together, which is just a masterful match and the level of storytelling we can accomplish through them, I would rather this sort of breathe for a bit and we come back together for a singles match at a different time. Could we do it maybe this coming January? Perhaps. It's just disappointing that Noah's not going back to the Budokan. We're going to Ariaki Coliseum, which is not a bad venue. Um, It just doesn't have the same weight as going back to the Budokan um and especially just you know being like such a such a kendo fan like it's just disappointing that that couldn't be like another way to get kendo back in the Budokan you know so there's something about it there that kind of falls flat to me but then it's like well does it matter like are we waiting for a venue with this like you know what I mean like I don't know how I feel about that in particular but I could see it happen in January I think that would be great but I could also see this go out even a little bit longer but I do think there should be a little bit of time. I am also very interested in Kento and Masa doing something at the right time in the right venue. I think that would be tremendous. I would like it to be over um, in all Japan, preferably too. I think that would be tremendous. So yeah, I think that I don't really have an interest in the world tag belts though. I also wouldn't want access to win. 
I think it's like a big thing for me <laughs> no, too. No, no, yeah, no. If, if anything, it would have to be Kento and, and Yuma winning, and and I think real like they would play it up like, oh, Kento finally got his pin on Nakajima, and again, that just doesn't. Which wouldn't be satisfying. Yeah, it's not. It's not satisfying. You, I want that singles match. You want that big victory, and it's it's just not the same otherwise. So I'm a hundred percent on your side, and then um, I'm glad you brought up masa's role here too because we we really need to see more of that and um we're going into the n1 victory of course um nakajima had a a startlingly babyface promo after talking to kento miyahara of like oh thank you guys all for coming this is wonderful i'm gonna win the n1 okay bye and um masa calls him out as being like wildly inconsistent on mic and and having no consistency in his tone which he's correct to do that and you and I had mentioned that sort of Nakajima sounded almost like he was backpedaling like he had done all this to his junior and now was going like oh but I'm I'm a nice guy I'm not I'm not a monster I'm not but love me please cheer for me please please love me yeah so um but I I feel like that in a lot of ways especially Masa's comments on it open up the door to um to something between them two and and we always have the door open um no matter how hard Masakita Mia tries to shut it uh someone's always there to open it again and uh even if it's just at the guardrail on commentary uh Nakajima will always open that door so I think um I think there's a lot to be said there and I think we should keep an eye out on what's going to happen in the N1 and then going forward from there in Noah. So thank you guys so much. You can find me, Alicia, at Sharanui Kai on Twitter. You can find me and Rachel at Kickout299 on Twitter. We're also at Kickout299 over on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please go to your preferred podcast platform wherever you're listening to us and consider leaving a five-star review. We are so grateful that those have been um, coming in lately. Thank you guys so much for doing that. Um, as always, it just helps us get seen, gets helps us with the algorithm and just to get more people listening to us. And it really does um, mean a lot to us. So thank you in advance for doing that if you haven't already. I am Rachel at Milky Star. That's M-I-I-K-Y Star. And again, we are Kickout 299. Thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you soon.